Hello again, friends, and welcome to My Back 40 and the My Back 40 podcast. I'm your host, Steve O'Shaughnessy. Well, I hope everyone's doing okay through this crazy time of self-isolation and um, social distancing. You know, it certainly sucks as humans to have to socially distance ourselves from one another because I, I think connection is super important for our for our mental health. So I know walking around and running into friends on the street, it's just kind of weird because it's like, hey, how you doing? And it's like there's this invisible force field around everything and you can't... Uh, can't like shake hands or bump knuckles really anymore or just even be close to one another so it's uh it's definitely some strange strange times but what i would encourage uh, everybody to do is get out there and get some exercise you can still ride your bike you can still um you can still go for walks with your family or you can go for a run um i would just encourage everyone to do it safely the last thing our medical system needs is a bunch of busted up mountain bikers in there delaying the treatment of uh, people who are who have succumbed to this horrible virus. So get out there, be safe. You can even go, go, go riding with a buddy, I think, as long as you're, you're not kind of touching and hugging and, you know, high-fiving after the road gap, which you shouldn't be doing this time anyway. But you can get out there with a buddy, I think, and, and uh, just, you know, connect and uh, just be safe. And, uh, yeah, I think that's all I want to say about that. I know a lot of you are probably just jonesing to get out and ride your bike and, and hopefully you are, like I said, um, or you're inside riding on your trainer. Uh, you may have a training program that you're following as you're preparing for, uh, for events that may or may not be coming up this summer. Um, but yeah, on the vein of training, uh, Ryan Draper has some advice for you. Have a listen. Hey, my Back 40 podcast listeners. This is Ryan once again from Cycling 101 in Canmore, Alberta. Today, I wanted to chat just a little bit about training. So as a coach, I get a lot of questions about training. I get a lot of questions uh, that surround things like uh, how much volume, how much intensity, how much strength training, um, you know, should I do yoga, should I uh, do Pilates, lots and lots and lots of questions. Well, the answer to those questions is never a simple one. It's all very, very individual. Um, I have uh, over 20 years experience uh, working with athletes uh, of all different ages, uh, some as young as 10 years old and some as old as 70. And what I've really found is that taking the time to have a consultation with someone who is experienced with a wide variety of modules and has uh, evolved and grown as a coach over a number of decades will really give you a good amount of insight into what might work best for you. I personally um, have a regimen that I use myself where I like to do a little bit of daily range of motion and flexibility. I like to do a little bit of strength training, maybe twice a week, nothing too intense, just using uh, some very basic stuff around the house. Uh, I also like to spend the majority of my riding time at uh, what we consider to be the maximum aerobic function or MAF. Um, and I like to do the odd uh, high intensity interval training session. Now, the high intensity interval training sessions, those are a ball of wax uh, kind of in themselves because the uh, frequency, the duration, and um, the placement of those sessions is uh, a lot, uh, a lot more important than the actual thing that you are, are performing during those hit sessions. 
So everyone has a, a different recovery rate. Um, everyone sleeps differently. Everyone has a different lifestyle. And we need to make sure that when we think about training, we are implementing training as as a form of stress in the person's life that can coexist with the stresses they already have. So some of the uh, um, you know clients I work with have very stressful um, it, jobs. Uh, others have less stressful jobs. So we can we need to balance the stress that comes from physical activity and time constraints and commitment uh, to the actual process of training. One of the coolest little uh, hacks that uh, I personally use and have a number of my athletes use uh, is a, a band that is called Whoop. And Whoop is a very cool tool that measures heart rate variability. It measures sleep. Uh, it measures uh, all kinds of different parameters, gives you daily scores, gives you weekly performance assessments, monthly performance assessments, as well as annual performance assessments. For me, it's been a tool that has completely changed the way that I look at every day, every week, every month, and even events that I casually um, or occasionally participate in, like the odd fat bike race or mountain bike race, it really helps me to make sure that I am primed mentally and physically uh, for uh, the demands that I am putting uh, both on my body and my mind. Um, if you have any questions to do with training or want to uh, have a consultation to see how coaching and, and training might work uh, or be integrated into uh, your busy lifestyle, please uh, drop me an email, ryan.cycling101 at gmail.com, and I'll be more than happy to get back to you. And yeah, hope you uh, enjoyed this little tip. Thanks, Ryan. And if you need a consultation or a bike fit from Cycling 101, you can reach out to them and you can use the discount code 101VIP20 to save 20% off that consultation or bike fit. Uh, if you're going to be hitting the trainer really hard, something to consider would be bike fit because um, you don't want to injure yourself uh, on a poorly fitting bike. And they can actually do that remotely. You can send uh, videos for analysis to Cycling 101 and they can make recommendations based on what they see in those videos. So don't forget, discount code 101VIP20 to save 20% off a consultation or a bike fit. And if you'd like to reach out to me, you can do so at myback40podcast at gmail.com. I love hearing from you. Um, send me feedback, guest suggestions, and voice intros. I haven't received one voice intro yet. Who's going to be the first one to send me one? Uh, just whip out your phone, record me something, and email it to myback40podcast at gmail.com. I think they add a really cool element to the show. And uh, I did it on the Bike Pack Canada podcast, and I'm hoping I can pick it up here as well because I want to hear from you. So don't be shy. Send me a voice intro myback40podcast at gmail.com and I will get back to you. I've been wanting to talk to this gentleman for a long time. Um, probably ever since I've been on Instagram, I've been following Ty Dahman. And uh, it's like, as soon as I started podcasting, I really wanted to talk to this guy. And uh, I don't know why it took so long to connect with him, but I'm really glad we did. Uh, and we connected via uh, video chat. Uh, Ty was obviously in Australia. I was in Canada. What a world we live in where we can connect this way. Um, and uh, I really enjoyed talking to Ty. You know, oftentimes when I think about uh, what people are going to be like before I connect with them, I was thinking, you know, I bet Ty is going to be a pretty down to earth, easy to talk to dude. And he did not disappoint. Uh, as soon as we connected, it was kind of like talking to an old, an old buddy. We just kind of sat down and 
and uh, talked about life and bikes and just shot the shit for a couple hours and had a beer. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. Ty's a really cool guy, very experienced uh, cyclist, single speeder, um, bike packer, um, just an awesome guy. And I learned a lot from Ty and I had a great conversation with him. And uh, let's get to it. So without further delay, I bring you Ty Dahman. Hey, Matt. Hey, Ty. How's it going? Good. I'm just trying to get it working on my laptop. Oh, is it not working? It's not working on my laptop. This is on my phone at the moment. I've got, um, what's the Apple one called? Uh, FaceTime? FaceTime. I've got that working. Um, but if Messenger's better, then well, that's fine. I'm just trying to figure out if I call you. I can. Um, oh, here we go. Hang on. If you call me on FaceTime? Yeah, no, it wants me to download a new fucking. Oh, computers. Browser. You know what I've noticed from, from doing you know, this? It's one, of those things, it's one of those things where like I stopped using my laptop years ago. I know, I know. Working out routes for bikepacking. Yeah. Everything else I do on my phone. Everything's on a phone now. And uh, yeah, I've yeah. had a couple instances where people are like, oh, they're trying to do it on their computer. And I'm like, just grab your phone. And they they whip it out. Okay. And it's like, no worries. But we can we can try if you yeah, want. No, no, that's. It's completely up to you. You're the man who knows what's going on. If, you, if we can use the phone, that's awesome. Well, we're recording right now, so. Cool. Yeah. That's easy. I mean, it works. Look that's at you, started. man. You're, you're <laughs> slick. Look at that. <laughs> it's, I'm like um, the opposite. Is, it, it's, is that too disturbing for you? Do you want no. to shut the window? <laughs> no. It's like, man, you turn the brightness down a bit, man. <laughs> yeah, I'll just hold it back. So what are you so drinking? Oh, that's a, that's a pint. Look at that. Yeah, it's a that's a beer from over out west, and oh, uh, what is the it? glass was made a couple of cases from my house. It's like oh, a nice. big uh, beer glass. Yeah, that's a biggie. I have. Uh, did you go to Fernie when you were out here? Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah Fernie yeah. Brewing. Yeah, so they do good mixed boxes, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, you buy because we don't do mixed boxes of beer in Australia. Was oh, that right? I, I, I don't know why. It's crazy because that we have weird. so many breweries, but you have to buy like the same beer the whole time. I'm just trying to set up my thing. Can you st- can you hear me probably that? Oh yeah, yeah, you're good. Cool, cool. I'm just dicking with my levels here too. I'm just I'm messing up. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, I looked oh, at shit. I looked at this so, bottle of beer and it was like six point five percent. I'm like, holy cow, I'm gonna get Oh uh, so I was just in Canada at Christmas time and I noticed that you guys are making all of your beers 500 mil cans. Yeah. And so now when you have a 6% of beer, it's a killer when you just want a small beer, especially if it's 6.5. And, um, it's crazy. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it's like cannabis too. You go to this, you go yeah, to the yeah, yeah. place to get cannabis and it's like, how, what? 29%? <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? Yeah. Just an eighth. <laughs> we don't have that problem here yet. So. No, it's actually legal in the territory I live in, but you can't buy it. Like we don't have shops. Well, we can't. Right, so you end up going to a dealer or whatever. You know, um, yeah. one of the things I'd really like to I'd really like to talk to a cannabis expert on this podcast, actually, because uh, yeah, I think it'd be really interesting with with CBDs now and and all the medicinal benefits of it. It's yeah. you know, it's kind of a no brainer to. Yeah, yeah, but it's crazy because there's there's still a lot of taboo with it, right? Oh, it's it's one of those things, isn't it? We're allowed. So I um have been a manager, you know, 
in different roles in my life. And I've had people working for me that every Friday night go out, get blind, get into fights, spend all their money on alcohol. <laughs> and then I've got guys who smoke illegal marijuana and are great workers, stay at home, have a pizza on Friday night with their wife, look after their kids probably, yeah. yet that's illegal. It's interesting. And yeah, so it's sort of, it's a funny world. It is kind of stupid. All right, I'm just trying to figure out. So the microphone's at the bottom of my phone. You, I'm just trying to set it up so I don't have to hold it the whole time. Oh, yeah, I have mine leaned up against a bowl. That's, That's all what I'm trying to do. Oh, but but my phone's kind of at my chest level. It's a bit easier probably. Take your time. Oh, you're on your phone. What's that? There you go. You're on your phone. I am. Wow. I'll tell you. might have like a whole studio set. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, it's just basically my uh, – I've got like a big TV here. Yep, cool. and then that's the recorder interface there. Yep. So that's yep. what we're recording to now, and then some bikes. Yeah. yeah. It's a picture of Squamish there. Did you guys go to Squamish? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, We've been there once before. So. Which is my partner from Edmonton, Calgary. Oh, okay. There you um, go. And so we'll be moving across in a year, two years. Yeah. But we visit every year, and then this this time we came across for a month, and it was kind of like a bit of a uh reconnaissance to figure out where we wanted to live so we did all of um victoria uh, sorry vancouver island we did a bit, bit of bc because her grandpa lives up at fuck what's it called i can't remember like nor anyway, northern yeah. bc or no just um well like you have to take two ferries from vancouver to get there what's that bloody code was it um sunshine coast up there yeah 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 definitely in the sunshine coast so. like lund or something or yeah, yeah, near there. Campbell River. And oh. anyway, yeah, we had a look all through there, and then we went up to like uh, Jasper and places like that, which we would love to live in, but you need a job, so that sort of rules that out. Yeah, what do you do? Uh, oh, I'm in the army. So oh, interesting. I'm in logistics in the army, I can sort of get a job doing anything. And then Chelsea is a uh, an engineer, a mechanical engineer, but she used to work at an air aircraft factory in Calgary, so she can sort of. Mm -hmm probably get a job back in Calgary or in Victoria. Yeah. Like, um, we'll see. One of those things. Great opportunity. You get to come here for a bit. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, well, that's the thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is it going to be kind yeah. of semi, is it permanary? What's that? Is it permanary? Permanent, tem temporary? <laughs> a, uh, a permanary uh, move, that is? Chelsea, we met while I was riding my bike around the world. She came to Australia with me and then we waited until she's got now got her residency and we'll do the same for me. So we'll move to oh, Canada. I'll get my idea. residency and then we can decide what we wanted to do. So yeah, it is permanary. <laughs> <laughs> I guess as we get older, Australia, the temperature, well, the climate in Australia might be a bit more agreeable, but at the same time, it'll probably all be burning. Yeah. In 10 or 15 years. But that's yeah. everywhere now. Like it just seems it is. it's you guys everywhere. It, yeah. 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 Um, yeah. A couple of years ago, uh, was it last year or the year before? A couple of years, at least in the last two years, there was at least a yeah. two year span where you, yeah. didn't, you didn't see blue sky all summer, like almost uh, all summer. And it was, uh, there was one, it got yeah. so bad at some time you couldn't, I, I went for a ride because I'm an idiot yeah. and I just wanted to go yeah. for a ride, but it destroyed yeah, it me, destroyed yeah. me. Yeah. The smoky yeah. air was just crazy. <clears throat> are yeah. you, uh, are you close to any of that action down there? Oh, yeah, yeah. The fires came within 25 or 30 k's of our house. So, and we live in a city of 400,000 people. And 
there were days where you, you couldn't go outside. Like you went outside and it was like you were standing next to a bonfire and you, you know, when the smoke blows into your eyes, wow. it was like that. Wow. But it hurt your eyeballs. Yeah, that's crazy. So now I guess we are the poster children for climate change. So it's all going to turn to shit from here. But, I don't know. I've been living yeah. in the Kootenays here for about 10 years now. And uh, yeah. maybe, maybe that's no, not long enough. I moved from the coast, but maybe it's not long enough to be yeah. out here. But it just seems like there's yeah. just been this parabolic kind of change in, in climate. Yeah. And uh, where when yeah. I moved here, it was like there were more minus 30 days you know, yeah. for a longer period of time. And now yep. I don't, we didn't yep. crack minus 30 this year. No, I, the first winter I spent in Canada was 2015 and they didn't have any, I think the coldest day was minus 25 and there was only two days like that. And then I was there for this Christmas. And as you know, December was like minus 10, minus 15. I was yeah. riding every day in like just like windstopper, good gloves and shoes, but yeah. you know, it wasn't cold. No. Yeah, so, times are changing, man. It's it's pretty crazy. Yeah, and then yeah, in in Alberta, um, this post got kind of spread around about um, Alberta parks closing, like 160 I saw parks. That. That's unbelievable. Yeah, I don't. It's strange. I'm gonna have to uh, yeah, do some research into that. That looks fucking terrible because I mean they're busy enough as it is. If you start closing some down and doing stuff, they're just the good ones are just gonna get even busier. Yeah, you're, which is well, so. I know. But. Yeah, you can you can barely get into anything now. And exactly. now it's just going to be exacerbated. Like you're not yeah. going to be able to camp. You have to make a reservation two years out <laughs> to get in. Exactly anywhere, right. right. That's that's our biggest fear about moving to Canada. At the moment in Australia, we can jump on our bikes and go for a ride and camp somewhere. Yeah. And we know we can't do that in Canada. So well, yeah. You can stealth camp. Yeah, you can stealth camp, I think. Yeah. Um I mean there's yeah. a there's a lot of there's a lot of places in Canada to go. Like just yeah. even even from here or from yeah. Fernie or from like you can get away yeah. like you don't really need yeah. to go to the provincially maintained or federally maintained campsites. Absolutely, I think for us the hiking, I guess you can't just cross country hike everywhere, and I think yeah. the hikes are the killer because they are they will just get busier and busier. So. Yeah, yeah, the backcountry's busy for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah. you sent me this this uh, resume of accomplishments <laughs> no, <laughs> i was like exactly well it doesn't I have said. to be this formal but <laughs> no 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 that's exactly what i said to ross Burridge when he when we had a chat years ago just because he didn't know anything about me and um i definitely do not want to talk about 99 percent of the things on there <laughs> <laughs> yeah but so you've ridden bikes a long time obviously um yeah so as you know you, you we've been kind of chatting very randomly back and forth about yeah. the whole single speeding thing and yeah. and uh i i've i've said it on the bike pack canada podcast a few times and and then now i'm saying it that i'm thinking about yeah. single speeding the epic and what you said the other day it's like oh we're thinking of doing it uh you're gonna do it last year and uh you said it's probably a really good introductory single speed track and when i was yeah. riding it with gears i was like oh i totally could have single speeded this but yeah. parts of it but i don't know if i could push one a thousand kilometers though like i don't know i just feel i'm afraid uh of a long game strategy whether it's it's good yeah. for me yeah i i think the thing about it is that a lot of people say that single speeding is uh it's really hard like oh they say that must be really hard I always say single speeding is different. It's not harder. Exactly. And and the thing is, 
even yesterday on Instagram, someone said, or on the internet somewhere, someone said um, that one by 11 is just asking for like sore knees where you should be writing two by 11. <laughs> and I think that's going a bit overboard. But uh, the last time I had knee pain or extreme fatigue on a bike was when I rode gears. Interesting. And I think because, um, you know, you're forced to recover on a single speed. So yeah. I ended up riding up a hill and then riding down the other side. And then on the flat ground, I've got no choice but to spin. Yeah, it, uh, it keeps you honest. Yeah. It keeps you honest. About 27 yeah. kilometers an hour. Yeah. And I actually cover. And then I'm going faster up the hills because yeah. I don't have the choice to sit down and spin in a low gear. And then... um. Oh, guess what? I'm overtaking all these people that just overtook me on the flat. Yeah. And then through a divide, it was a perfect example. After 2,000 kilometers, I started picking people off and then end up in the top 10 awesome. because I wasn't, you know, killing myself on the flat. Yeah. And uh, the last time I rode with gears on a fully loaded bike, I ended up with tendonitis. And that's because I was just smashing myself 100% of the time. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point because I notice, you know, when you ride, um, like most of my trail riding has been, um, yeah. has been single speed and, uh, I love it because yeah. it just feels like a BMX bike, right? You're just ripping around the forest on this little ripper bike right. and it's so light. I'm glad you said that. I'm oh yeah. Really, it, make, I, it makes me feel like a kid. Because, yeah. When I put gears on my bike, I think it's a tool because well, I can put a roll off onto my single speed. Right. It takes me about half an hour. I just take the rear wheel off, put the roll off on, put cable tied it cables on and everything perfect and then it feels like a tool and as soon as i take it off i have a ball and it feels like a bmx so i'm glad it's not just me oh no man i love it and it's same thing you show up at a group ride and people are like this was a, this was a while ago but oh i have yeah. a joke actually dean anderson told me this joke he said how do you know there's a single speeder at a party yeah he'll tell you <laughs> yeah. <I have laughs> Yeah, I single speed. But anyway, so um, uh, I can't. I lost my train of thought. But yeah, show up at a group ride and they'll say, "Oh, single speed, yeah. we'll wait for you." I'm like, "Yeah, I don't think so, man." Because <laughs> uh, yeah, you have to wind it. You have to wind the thing out, especially around yeah. here. It's pretty. It's pretty undulating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think what it teaches you. I think one one thing that I've learned is it gives you a ton of strength. Like, yeah. uh, like when you when you climb, if you if you commit to big climbs. And you're just yeah. rowing the boat, right? You're just like pulling that thing. Yeah, it makes you so strong, but it also makes you stay off the brakes. Yeah, right. Because everything's about momentum, and if if you can wind something out right to the base of a hill, you can like cruise yeah. almost halfway up some of the punchy. I honestly hill. believe everyone should own a single speed. Yeah, and it'll make a better rider. I was um riding mountain bikes for a few years, riding road bikes. And I was living in the tropics in northern Australia, and we have the wet season up there, and it, well, it's not the greatest time for a lot of cycling so i decided to get into track cycling Ooh. and i developed a whole new set of muscles a whole new set of skills and you know it's a little bit similar to single speeding you're, you're developing all these different skills and yeah absolutely with respect to um climbing and descending and maintaining momentum so yeah the track absolutely. you mean you're on a fixie right yeah yeah on the yeah. velodrome yeah wow that's crazy i i talked to another guy um brian sklarchuk um he was on the the last or just the second to last podcast I did for Bike Pack Canada, but he wrote yeah. he was going to um I think he was going to Belgium 
He was like kind of semi-pro. Yeah. He'd go there like a racehorse and he'd race, race track. <laughs> He's like, just, you know, I'm just going to go turn left all day kind of thing. And it, it, yeah. it, I'd love to find, I think there's a velodrome in, is there a velodrome in Calgary? It'd be super fun to go and just. There, there would have to be. Do you know the funny thing though? Like there used to be hundreds, like thousands of velodromes all over the world. Yeah. There used to be a sport that people would go watch. And then it just disappeared completely off the face of the earth. So it's, you know, it's still around, but it's very, you know, it's pretty hard to find a velodrome these days. And uh, it used to be something people would go watch on a Friday night and they'd get tens yeah. of thousands of people watching them. And so it's really strange that it kind of disappeared um, because it's action-packed. And I always thought it would be a bit monotonous, like doing laps in a pool, but it's not. It's it's as adrenaline pumping as mountain biking. Yeah. Because you kind of, when you're in a bunch, you're kind of shitting yourself the whole time. Yeah, because you're riding really tight, right? Yeah. 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 And I don't know. I know there's a lot of strategy around it, right? I'm really not sure. Like, yeah. I haven't really followed it because it's hard to follow because you, you can't find it anywhere. It's just no. going, I should just go on YouTube and find it. But yeah. Um, I, yeah. I never really understood the strategy. There's like an attacker and they stay up high or something. Yeah. And then at some point they yeah. attack and then. It's like riding downhill. So if you stay up high, you know, you'll end up with a bit of advantage when right. you're going over to one on the sprints but there's so many different races there's like races where you're earning points there's races where you're in bunches there's races where you slingshot each other there's all these different things and um yeah it's interesting it's like and yeah it's being going so fast that you're being pushed into your saddle uh on the banking when you oh, first on that it's just it's amazing so it's really good and um, i've got a track bike that i've had for a decade because I haven't, I haven't even raced for a decade, but I'm not selling it because I know if I move somewhere and find the time again, I'll be straight back on the velodrome. It's so much fun. And it's a good all ages thing because, you know, you can sort of get out there and do it in any weather and any age. So Yeah, it's a cool little whip too, right? Because there's no controls yeah. on it. It's just like the yeah. tubes and tires, right? Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. it sounds really cool. No, I guess you can never do the Tour Divide Fixie, eh? Has anyone done that? Uh, I think someone did a few really? years back. I just think it would just be kind of, uh, I, yeah, having not done it, it probably sounds like what people people probably <laughs> think doing it is a bit stupid as well, but it's just the descending because, I mean, it would be pretty tough. back from the Tour Divide, <laughs> I realized I was really good at getting into the tuck position yeah. to get error on downhill. Yeah. Even like the slightest downhill, I would automatically get into a tuck position. And I got home from the Tour Divide and realized I was really flexible and I, and I could get into this ball and sort of shoot down descents. But um, uh, on, the, on a fixed gear, it would be a little bit difficult again. But, you know, all these things come around. We've all, a lot of us have set up cyclocross bikes fixed and done it and then realized, well, yeah, you're not really, there's not really any fun advantage. Yeah. <laughs> I think someone recently like, like the Radivist or something made a big deal about someone making a fixed gear bike for gravel roads the other day and it's like yeah i think everyone's been there and done it if they've got the parts around the garage but um the first time you have to stop really quickly and you realize <laughs> yeah. traction rear wheel and it's dirt is the last time you do it <laughs> and if you try to get over an obstacle and you're a crank yeah catch it's not much fun i remember working in vancouver um years ago probably de well, over a decade ago <clears throat> and obviously the bike messengers are all riding fixies right little yeah. tiny like bars like this and they're ripping around and i was walking back to yeah. my car because i commuted from squamish every day and and this guy he, he must have been a block away 
and he was yeah. flying and he and he did the like the little bunny hop brake thing you yeah. know to stop his yeah. rear wheel yeah. and that guy fucking slid right into a bike rack like perfectly <laughs> like like he was in it was just like chink and he just like and, and just like a ninja pulls out his lock and goes wow, wow, wow and then he goes in to deliver his package and it was crazy i stopped and went what the fuck did you just do that it was like yeah. red bull <laughs> It's yeah, like Red yeah. Bull should sponsor that guy. It was crazy. I have a real appreciation for those guys ripping around. Like I think Sofiane, right? He, you know, he's a messenger yeah. riding fixie around around Paris or whatever, yeah. which would be bananas. Yeah, yeah. Bananas. So we should talk about. No, uh, I think the, no, the whole fixie thing came and went a little while back. Like I started riding my track bike to the velodrome and then started riding it all the time. And um, yeah, you just once. Once you start getting used to it, it just becomes completely normal. But even now, if I pulled it out, it would be a, a bit of an adjustment again, I think. So Yeah, I think that's you just get used to what you're used to. Yeah, I think that's just like the single speeding thing, right? Like when you try yeah. it, at first it kind of sucked. But yeah. you know, in a way, it's like the first time on it, it's like, wow, this is fucking hard. <laughs> but yeah, then I think when you when you find the right ratios and you know, yeah. you're not like trying to kill yourself with massive ratios. Yeah. It's it's a lot yeah. of fun. What what do you um what kind of ratios are you running? So I um run twenty seven plus wheels, which are basically a bit smaller than a twenty nine er circumference, and I run thirty two eighteen. Okay. Which, if you put a twenty nine er on there, it'd probably be about thirty two eighteen and a half, I guess. Yeah. Um, just above. That's a bit easier than thirty two eighteen on a twenty nine er, um, and I can sit on 27 kilometers an hour pretty comfortable on flat ground. I don't find that I get off my bike earlier or later than anyone with gears. And then having said that, uh, depending on where I am, um, for instance, the terrain around where I live in Canberra in Australia is the roads were built recently as in in the last 50 to 60 years when they had uh, motorized vehicles and so the roads are less um contoured so if you go somewhere where there's very old roads they're generally contoured because they tried to take horses and carriages up them oh i see whereas where I'm, they literally just drive straight over mountains and and so a lot of the roads are very steep and were really rocky just because of the terrain so i actually have um a 20 tooth cog on there right next to the 18 and all i do is um undo my bolts uh, and just readjust the chain tension, chuck it, chuck it into the twenty-two. Sometimes, yeah. If I spend like hours and hours and hours in oh, really you hard mean, you made your own, you made your own dingle cog then kind of thing. Like you just have two cogs. Oh well, yeah, it's it's not dingle because you actually have to completely change change the chain tension. Like right, a dingle is generally take the wheel out, swap. You've got the same amount of teeth on the front and the rear in both ratios. Oh, okay. Um, so I have another cog on there and just yeah, change the change the well slide the uh chain over because it's only what three or four mils across it makes no difference to the chain line right and so if we're out yeah i can do that but obviously if you're going to race you can't change your ratio during the race if there's a, a single speed category so obviously when i'm racing i don't do that but yeah it's one of those things so generally 32 18 and 32 20 if it gets really bad i don't know what i'm running right now right now um I think 30, 33, 18, I think. I have a 32 and a 33. I don't know why I did that. Yeah. 
um, I guess it's kind of good because it's a half step. You know, it's just kind of a little step between. Yeah, and it's also good to have a um, a non-even number or make sure the cog and the chain ring are indivisible with each other because Mm. then the chain doesn't spin in the same spot. So a 3218. Oh, that's smart. Spinning in the same spot. And then one time. I had to take my chain off and put it back on and it was crunching and crunching and I'm thinking, what the hell's going oh, on? But it was because so it had sense. worn narrow wide, like a narrow wide chain ring. Yeah. And it had worn that way over years because I never changed my chain. Anymore. You don't have so to. Yeah, I just run forever. <laughs> yeah. And I couldn't figure out what's going on. So it's also not bad, yeah, to have it, um, have it uneven. That is so interesting. I never would have thought of that. Like basically, well, it's the same on a fixie. If if you're front, yeah. if you're, uh, you, you might know on a fixie if if you've got the chain ring and the uh, and the cog is divisible, you'll get flat spots when you do the skid stopping. So, right. yeah, there's See, all these I, weird and wonderful things. I don't think I'm as <clears throat> I don't think I'm as immersed in that technology as you are. <laughs> I've only been ha- single speeding for a handful of years, but ever ever since I started, yeah. it was like, man, everyone should do this, but. Yeah, it's uh like I said, it's not hard. It's just no. different, and that's what that's what the marketing. There needs to be some some big company needs to come out and say that single speeding is amazing, and then everyone will all of a sudden do it, and then realize it's not that bad. Yeah, because <laughs> these days it's about marketing. <laughs> There's all these things that we see, and we go, yeah, we tried that years ago, and it didn't work. But as soon as a big company brings it out, it's like, wow, this is the new best thing. I was talking to a guy at work today and we were, he was telling me about his bike and, um, hi Dave. And, uh, he was just telling me about, he's got the spot with the, like, um, I don't know what model it is, but it's got the carbon fiber, um, kind of plate at the bottom as a pivot for the rear yeah. triangle. So, and I was just yeah. thinking, it's like, I, I, I can appreciate the engineering in that, but it yeah. seems like every year it's like, you know, a new spacing and a, a new geometry, yeah. like everything's all, long wheelbase and steep seat tube yep. and and yep. super slack head tubes now and it's all just making up for like the cockpit's staying the same but they're yep. just playing with wheelbase they're kind of stretching the wheelbases yep. around it's just really interesting to me like I, I get it i get the bike industry has to keep making yep. things but then when i take my my chromag surface single speed out i'm like this thing shreds yep. man like it's a great yep. riding bike and yeah. it's vintage. I think it's the first generation they built. So it's like seven years old or maybe eight years old now. Absolutely. And it's still yeah. fairly progressive and, you know, 29er. Yeah. It's not, you know, it's got old spacing, which is kind of weird. So when I go riding bikes with people, they're like, what the fuck is that? What are you riding? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I was out um, on a doing a mount, doing a buck packing race and I stopped somewhere and I was talking to the owner of a um, local bike brand and um and he saw my bike and he said oh you've had that for ages haven't you <laughs> and i've had it for like four or five years and i thought well, isn't that what it's supposed to do like yeah it's a- especially a thing that's made of titanium it's supposed to last forever i'm not supposed to be getting a new one but i guess that's the attitude isn't it i guess so you know i i got a new fat bike this year and i've been riding um a chromag nice dreams for a while and great yep. bike don't get me wrong it's a great bike but um, mm-hmm. I got basically just a stock muckluck, and uh, things yeah. awesome. Like it's been a while since I've ridden a factory bike. You know, like yeah, everything's kind of matchy matchy, based yeah, on yeah, the way yeah. they sell it to everybody. Because usually I would get a yep. frame and then get a group yeah. and kind of build it up. But uh, damn, yeah. it's a nice bike. 
Like, yeah, it was a it was a huge change. Do you ride Do you ride fat bikes out there? Yeah, so I had a fat bike when I lived in northern Australia because uh, there is hundreds and hundreds of kilometers of inaccessible beaches. Oh, yeah. so you get to them by car, or you, know, you can get to them by boat, obviously. But so I bought it up there specifically to get out and about doing that kind of thing. And then um, I spent a winter in Canada in Edmonton as well, and I bought a fat bike when I was there. I was only there for three months, but I bought it for a thousand dollars, and then three months later sold it for a thousand dollars. Yeah. So that was kind of a good way to get around. <laughs> yeah. I've experienced, uh, yeah, like heat and humidity on a fat bike, and extreme cold, and I absolutely love them. But then, uh, as we were just talking about before, um, the winter this winter in Canada was quite mild, so yeah. I came across for a fall of December and just brought my. Uh, plus bike, so 27 by three inch tires, and it was like I was riding on dirt because it, you know, it wasn't a proper snowy winter. Right. So I was kind of lucky this time around. I definitely did not need a fat bike. I thought I might be going out and I'll just hire a fat bike when I need it, but I never needed it. So yeah, I guess um, the climate's changing a little bit and making it a bit easier to get out on a normal bike. But plus tires are pretty cool. If you're running low pressure, you're still getting you know, a pretty wide contact patch. You're just not going anywhere extraordinarily uh, far, but for getting around, they're good. Well, you know, I put um, that Nice Dreams fat bike, it's got 170 mil spacing, and I ended up getting a set of uh, Stan Hugo 52s for that. And then I put a a three-inch Chronicle on it, and then that's what I did the Epic with um, a couple summers ago. It was good, man. Like, it was a good setup. Um, What's the um, bottom bracket width? Uh, it's 90. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. Because I think I, I'm liking some of the new bikes that are coming out running 27 by 4-inch tyres. So it gives you a longer contact uh, patch yeah. to, to make up for the, the lack of width, but it means that they can also make a narrower bottom bracket Yeah, because you're not trying to get around a fatter tyre. So within reason, obviously, if you're doing proper expedition stuff, you want the full fat tyre. Yeah. But, um, I'm liking some of those. So I think when I move across, I'll be, uh, yeah, probably having a look at all the options at the time and trying to keep the bottom bracket a bit narrower. Um, my body doesn't love the super fat bottom bracket. So, yeah. Oh, your body doesn't, you said? No. Yeah. yeah. Are you, uh, do you have like, are you a skinny hip guy? Are you a skinny guy? I, I can't have tell. No idea. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kind like, of. I've got. I'm a chunkier guy. Like I've got. I've kind yeah. of like a stouter, kind of wider hips. And people ask yeah. me that. It's like, oh, you did the BC Epic on that bike. It's like, doesn't it? Didn't it hurt your Q factor? The proportions are correct. <laughs> yeah, it's like. Well, it kind of works for me. And uh, I was. I was telling my buddy even today. You know, um, there were guys on the Epic riding. Not like, well, there were gravel bikes there, but you know, like a 40 mil tire or or even a two inch tire. And and you would just yo-yo with them because, you know, if it was smooth and nice, you know, they just bust by you in their drop bars. But then when it got just a little bit chundery or soft, you'd be like, hey, jingling, hey, you know, and I'd go buy them. And it's, it's super interesting that it, yeah, it's, I don't know if there's one good bike for these long events. I don't know if there's one good bike. Absolutely. Yeah, I absolutely agree. It's happened in every race I've done. And, um, yeah, there isn't. And I think that's one of the great things about being alive right now. I, I was, like, um, you know, giving stick to the market before about, you know, all marketing behind all these bike designs and stuff. But it's great. Oh, yeah. We've got so many options. 
So, you know, there's people at work, I spend half my time, you know, trying to help people decide on a bike to buy or whatever if they don't know much about bikes. And I can talk to them for uh, five or ten minutes, know exactly what they want to do, and then point them towards yeah. a, a niched bike. Yeah. And you couldn't do that five, ten years ago. I bullshit about bikes that work so much. I'm surprised I yeah. haven't been fired. <laughs> <laughs> You know, because a lot of the, the guys who work construction, they're always coming in and a lot of them yeah. ride bikes and it's, uh, we get talking and then it just goes on and on and on. Yeah. I could talk about Absolutely. bikes forever. Yeah. So yeah, yeah the plus thing, I, I really dig the plus thing. And that's, you know, um, you were saying about, yeah, the marketing thing in a lot of respects is kind of annoying and you know, it's just driving, yeah. it's just driving profits really. But yeah, at the same time, it's making riding bikes more enjoyable you know, and options, Absolutely. you know, my mucklucks 26 yeah. fat and I'm glad I, I got 26 fat. Yeah. Um, yeah. um, but it's, I don't know. It's, it just, yeah, there's a lot well, more choice. At, look at fat tires 10 years ago. There was like three or four choices. Yeah. And they yeah. were all really, uh, like they, they weren't supple. They were <laughs> yeah, no. And, and even now with my 27 plus, when I first started riding them in, uh, 2016, there was only a few choices of tire. And they're all quite heavy. And now my tires weigh about as much as a 29er tire and they're supple. And if I roll next to someone on bitumen, I'm, I don't, there's no disadvantage. No. So, you know, obviously within reason, there's faster tires and slower tires, but they're absolutely amazing. And this is because uh, companies are going out there and sort of pushing the boundaries. And yes, they are trying to sell more tires, but it's helping us all out. What's your tire brand? I use Maxi's yeah, Recon. Yeah. I think they're the best tire on the planet for everything. I was going to get so, a set of those, actually. The two, the two three fives. I was going to get a set of those. Yeah, for my single speed. I can't. Uh, yeah, they they last forever. I don't get punctures. I don't want to say that, but I don't. <laughs> Touch wood. They hold their sealants. Um, they roll amazingly, and. They've just got way more traction than any other tire I've tried. But, you know, we're all different. We all ride completely differently. Yeah. So they probably don't work for other people. But for me, I, I can't, yeah, I can't uh, find, can't fault them at all. So I've got a, a stock of tires that I've sort of bought over the years and trialed. And now I'm trying to wear them all out because, you know, you right. sort of, you find a good tire. Now I've got all these sort of random tires in the garage. So I've got, you know, commuting on all these huge i mean three inch tires i don't think on a 27 or a 29 plus uh give you any advantage over a 2.8 so i've got all these three inch tires from uh -huh. when 27 plus came out and you thought oh of course i'll run three inches but they bounce and they're heavier and they don't necessarily grip more because sometimes they glide over surfaces so i'm now i'm on 2.8 but i've still got all these like three inch tires <laughs> just trying to like use up or when I find someone who loves three inches, I'm like, here, yeah, I have these for free. Or just buy me a beer or something. <laughs> yeah, I know. Just get so, them out of my shop. No trial and error. I mean, everything we do is trial and error, isn't it? Yeah. Maybe this is reverse. This could be like reverse advertising sponsorship for this podcast. But I also love Max's tires. And yeah, I don't know what it is. Every time I, every time I kind of like go somewhere to another tire brand, I'm disappointed. Yeah. Either you can't mount yeah. it, or you yep. can't you can't get the beads to seat, or they're yep. pissing uh, they're pissing out sealant all over the place. Oh yeah, and yeah. Um, you know they they're expensive. Like yeah. it's an ex it's not a cheap tire, but you know before before I um, before I went on the lost elephant, 
last summer I, ha- I had a set of the Chronicles, Three Inch Chronicles on there, and those things didn't owe me anything. Like they were, I looked at them like a couple days before and I was yeah. just like, probably should have done the tires, dude. Like they're pretty rough, right? And that, yeah. that was a gnarly, gnarly route. And there was a lot of sharp rock on that. Yeah. And I actually did end up tearing my side or um, pricking my sidewall. Yeah. In yeah. the middle of the night. And, um, and uh, I, I ended up limping to my camp spot and I slept, got up in the morning and got up and g- gave the tires a squish. They were, they're fucking rock hard. They held the, it, it clogged up. And I rode those another like 300 kilometers through yeah. like two mountain passes and sharp, sharp yeah. scree. And uh, yeah, I, yeah, I yeah. nursed them though. Right. Like I knew they yeah. were kind of, so you just kind of nursed them along, but, yeah. but now I got a new set. I just got another set because they're so yeah. bomber. And, and yeah. especially if you get the, the full sidewall protection and yeah. I think, and yeah. I think too, sorry, I'm talking too much, but, when people go into these massive events, the, the you have to replace your rubber. Like that's the first thing yeah. you should do is re- like take your take your tires off, clean your yeah. rims, clean it up, make them all nice and shiny, take all the the goop and the yetis out of your tires, and then yeah. freshen them up, new sealant, seal them up, and um, you won't have any rubber problems. You just don't have to worry about it, right? Yeah. They yeah, don't even yeah, leak. Yeah. Like you don't even have to air them no. up. They just hold. Yeah. No. I, I- Sticking on the maxis, um, I I've worn down the tread on too many of them, and I don't know. I don't want to throw them away because the casing is still up. I know. Right? <laughs> so retreads. They need a, to do retreads. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> or if I really wanted a really fast, slick twenty-seven plus, but I, mean, I took <laughs> I took a tire off that I was riding for years, and uh, I think it had done about seven thousand kilometers, and I took it off to because it literally had no tread left on it and there were eight or nine plugs in it and it was still holding air like a hundred percent i'd forgotten i put all the plugs in it because it just there's no problem with the uh, casing so yeah anyway can't chance chance on your rubbers right yeah (laughs) (laughs) oh man so what kind of ratio did you run the tour divide i'm taking notes what kind of what's No, what ratio did you run on the tour divide when you did that? Uh, the same, thirty-two eighteen. Thirty-two eighteen, right? Is it? Do you run that like all the time? I run that on cross-country racing, on commuting, on bikepacking. Literally, that is all I run. Yeah, that's my magic ratio. That's interesting because that's. I mean, it's not high. It's not a big gear, but. No. Yeah, no, that's uh, that's interesting. Yeah, when uh, Dean Anderson was out here with uh, Kenda Albertson, we did a little ride in my my back my back forty, and. Um, mm-hmm. He was running. What was he running? It was a super low ratio, like thirty-two twenty or super low. That's what I used to race twenty-four on. I used to when I did twenty-four hour racing. Yeah, I would run thirty-two twenty. Um, but I mean, he just did. He just did an Everest as yeah. well, Dean. Yeah, it, that's so, I mean, exactly. Been, it was before. I think it was before we did that or after you did that. I don't know. But he was that, just yeah. spinning along, like just ah, his cadence yeah. was so crazy. But he's right there. I mean. Yeah, you know, for the most part. So it's it's interesting. Yeah. Like you can run these different ratios, and it yeah, it just yeah, it's interesting. I don't know if I'll single speed the tour divide though. I I don't know. I'm I'm planning on doing that next year. That's kind of my. I keep throwing that out to the universe. Well, the hardest part of the tour divide is where you live anyway, and you yeah. ride that all the time. Yeah. So as long as you're getting good in that area, you know, the, the Canadian part is the most consistently difficult section, and then after that, there's some hard bits but they're not technical and no. um yeah it gets easier and easier until you get to the end then yeah well then knowing that wouldn't you maybe suffer a bit more on the mountains just so you have a bigger gear when you're down south 
No. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to think about that uh, for a no, second? <laughs> it, was, it was terrible. The last 200 kilometers of the Tour Divide is through New Mexico, and it was 37 degrees and really, really, really uh, hot. And all I wanted was a headwind because then I would be pushing um, pushing into the wind rather than just spinning. Uh, oh, right. Then I ended up, I think there was a side wind, which was okay. But your biggest enemy on, on a single speed is a tailwind because everyone else can use that. Oh, tail. Yeah. Bastards. But, you, <laughs> but literally, the, the biggest enemy of a single speeder isn't climbing or descending or flat. It's a tailwind. So I always uh, secretly hope for a headwind. And no, the gear was perfect. I finished the Tour Divide. Yeah, how, fresh, how, how long fresh, did you do? How long did it take? I took 19 days. Nothing okay. special. Respectable. Yeah. yeah so that was good. like on that on that edition, it was eighth position, which is okay. You know, every year is different. Yeah. Uh, but the last night of the Tour Divide, I was in Silver City, and there were four people behind me on gears on the other side of the mountain range, and I was terrified because I knew that they would be able to catch me the next day, and then I'd be in eighth position. But somehow, like I was pushing, I was spinning so hard, <laughs> and I ended up, you know, an hour or two in front of the uh, ninth position. But I didn't know at the time, and that's the only terrifying bit: knowing that if someone really wants to catch you, they'll catch you. But I wouldn't change a thing. Oh, cool. I know you didn't really want to talk about racing, so we don't have to dwell on that. No, well, I, I'm, I'm only joking. I just oh, okay. <laughs> through my resume listing <laughs> oh yeah no but I, I agree I, I think a lot of you know racing isn't the only thing so yeah and i want to branch out i want to definitely not talk about racing the whole time but i was going to ask uh yeah. about that well yeah with the technology now right like you can just yeah. pull out pull out your device and look at your phone and go holy shit they're like 40k away right yeah it's, it's almost yeah. like i wonder if there should be in like another category in some of these ultra distance where you show up and you put your phone in a yeah. faraday bag and they ship yeah. it to New Mexico and you can pick it up when you arrive. <laughs> you know what I mean? Well, like, here's I your spot. That's all you get. Like, off you go. Yeah. yeah. You know? I signed up for the Silk Road Mountain Race this year. Awesome. And um, I, well, I've got, I own a spot tracker, but I was going to sell it for various reasons. And I, was, and I bought an inReach, which is two-way satellite communication, if you don't know. Yeah. And so you can be anywhere on the planet and it Bluetooth connects to your phone and you can send a text message. And I, on their um, website, it says that you need to use a spot tracker. So I sent them a message and said, do I have to use a spot tracker or do you just mean a satellite? Um, mm. uh, and they said, we might change the rules in the future. This year, you'll be okay using your um, inReach, oh, but we might change the rules in the future because we think that the two-way communications detract from the vibe, I guess. I can kind of appreciate that. I mean, I know there's been a lot of chit chat about last year's yeah. tour divide about, you know, support and not support and film in the films that, the, yeah. that were shot. And uh, we can talk about that, but, um, yeah. um, the, um, you know, it, it, the consensus, oh, no, consensus, that's not the right word. I can, I can totally see where the old school guys are coming from. I totally can understand yeah. where they're coming from. I really, really do. Yeah. I, um, like, it does give you a boost. Like even, yeah. even, you know, there's a couple, um, um, Josh Ibbett, right. He had that video up there 
and uh, awesome video. But they're riding right yeah, fucking beside him, right? They're riding right beside him and yeah, not yeah. diminishing his effort because the film is so well shot. And I just want to tangent for a second. At the end of that film, yeah. they showed yeah. his suffering. They showed him. Yeah. He was like 40K from the end. And it looked like he was just like fucking hanging on by his fingernails, yeah. right? And so yeah. you, you would never get to see that, you know? Yeah. If they didn't if they didn't film that. I don't want to talk about all the bullshit that happened. It's not bullshit. Actually, I find I think it's yeah. really important, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that there's I'm gonna there's a double standard to all of that shit that went on. And it's I think it's really, really unfortunate and it was unnecessary. Yeah. That's all I'm gonna say about that. But um it gives you a boost, right? Like, you know, there's yeah. you know, you've done these things. Like I've I've done a couple and you're out in the middle of fucking nowhere and you're thinking like Man, it should be nice if I had a buddy right now, right? Like, you know, you're a bit scared or put yeah. off, or you're in the middle of the night in the woods, you don't really know where you are, and to have a partner I, I or someone there would give you a boost, right? Yeah, I too won't say, won't go into it too much, but I will say that I genuinely feel sorry for the people who have a film crew following them or any form of support because they're not experiencing the what full, we've experienced. Yeah, they've experienced it before. I know that. I appreciate but, that. Yeah. I, I genuinely think, you know, we grow as people from what we do out there. And if I love Josh Hubert's movie, absolutely yes. love it. I think it's yes. the best one. And Lee Craigie's movie when they yep. hand videoed each other um, divided, that was brilliant as well. And I liked Lael's movie. I liked Lael's movie as well. I liked Lael's as well. Yeah. It was great. It was yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And it was a totally different but I, journey. But yeah. yeah. But I genuinely, yeah, sometimes I think, well, you know, you can do all these things, you know, even if you get any form of support on the route, but uh, you're, you're not experiencing it yeah. in the way that you know, I think is the more beneficial to you as a person. Which sounds a bit melodramatic, but no, no you say melodramatic. Yeah, no, man. I think um, I'm all about that. I'm all about that. People who've listened to all my podcasts would know that I'm all about the mental health, yeah. kind of like the journey, the walkabout, if you will, right. Of, of going yeah. out on these adventures and just being, um, just i don't know stripped of you're just so vulnerable yeah. right you know yeah and yeah. you know the first the first time you do it or the first couple times or three or however many times it takes you it, it's so terrifying but you know you just go and you keep doing them and you keep yeah. going and you get more confident yeah. and and you realize yeah. that the, the woods aren't full of monsters that are going to drag you away into the night yeah. you know it's yeah it's it's all in your it's all in your head right but, well, I've um, never told anyone this before, but even when I rode my bicycle around the world, the first year I rode completely by myself until I met um, my current partner, Chelsea, and we spent the second year together. But the first year I was riding, and every morning when I got on the bike, about half an hour into the ride, I would smile to myself. And then I had this weird... In, in my <laughs> head, I had this image of looking at the planet Earth and then zooming in to me by myself yeah. without any connection to anyone. Because there were times there where no one knew who I was within thousands of kilometers. Yeah. You know, like there were, it was around millions of people, but no one knew who I was. And I sort of think these are the kinds of things that, yeah, really help you grow as a person. And it's an experience in itself. And if you're not doing that, you're kind of losing out, unfortunately. Yeah, I'd agree. And you know that's you know you know I'm kind of a family guy and <clears throat> yeah it's it's hard to get away right it's it's hard for me to get Absolutely. out for the time so so these these um like you know 
five day well the bc epic i'm hoping under under four yes. this year but like yeah. you know these three to four day events just out and and sleep deprived and hungry and 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 just immersed in beauty right it's it's like you come yeah. back in fact i've had i've had a hard time coming back from them almost yeah. like you're coming back from <laughs> war or something it's just so yeah. weird because you're suddenly you're just yeah. boop back to reality and it's instant there's no like there's no ramp up to it it's just like okay yeah. tour's over boom here's life yeah. go to yeah. work you're still sore and you're tired and you yeah and I think um, sometimes people ask why we do these races and um, because you can just go out at any time and do the same thing. But I've written it before in an, in an article where I, I think that these races, like what you just said, give you kind of that escape and they give you a reason to do that escape, especially because, you know, you've got your family and everything and you need, um, you're not just going to disappear every, every now and then. But these races really do sort of condense all of that into, into yeah, one yeah, it does. really intense experience, which might not happen if you just went out on a weekend. You know, some people do, but um, yeah, yeah, it's really good. Maybe that makes it more special too. The fact that, you know, like right now I'm, I haven't really been thinking too much about it, but you know, I've been thinking about yeah. the Epic quite a lot and, and uh, you know, it just gives you something to put on the calendar. Right. And you're, you're kind of looking forward to yeah. it and, and you yeah. know, I'm just going to do what I do. I'm just going to keep riding my bike. I don't have any training program, and just yeah. try to I don't know put a put on a bunch of weight before it, and <laughs> try to ride it off, <laughs> right? Yeah, there was. Yeah, have you much weight when you do these rides? Or what's, do I do on the Epic. Yeah. I lost like ten pounds in four days, and that's you know nice. that's dehydration, and stuff like yeah. that. But um, I had yeah, and uh, I think I even though I was trying to put weight on before it yeah. you know i didn't yeah. ride for about two or three weeks before either i just wanted to rest and it was kind of my first big attempt and i just wanted to be you know good and calm yeah. and you know be in a good yeah. mindset for it yeah and um yeah just when i look at my finished picture i'm like oh, i see my ribs <laughs> or my shirt and i'm not like a skinny guy right it's like wow it's good it's a great diet what a great way to lose oh, weight. <laughs> When I finished the tour of Ireland, I went to Tucson. I went to a thrift store and bought some clothes. And um, Chelsea wears them now, and she's significantly <laughs> smaller than me. I, there's no way I could even button, button up the shirt I bought now, uh, and I'm not really. That's I'm so not, funny. Not but I think I lost like five to seven kilos, uh, and I only weigh seventy three. So I don't know what that is in pounds. I don't know if it's pounds, but yeah. So oh, like just, you said, sorry, ten or fifteen kilos. No, I lost about oh. five to seven. Oh, five. Yeah. So like yeah, 10 pounds, 10, 15 pounds, yeah. 13 pounds. So that was kind of crazy. But, you know, you, you just can't. You haven't got enough time to eat enough food. I was eating as much as I possibly could and, you know, eating two burgers and a beer and riding and having as many hot meals as I could. But you just, you're not in the right place at the right time all the time. So it's just one of those challenges, isn't it? Yeah, you just kind of find it. You just pound it when you can find it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Tim Hortons, man, in Canada on these routes. Timmy's. Oh my you got a hit of Timmy's. Did you hit lots of Timmy's when you're out here? I cannot <laughs> praise um, bacon B. Uh, sorry, a BLT. So bacon, egg, bacon, egg, lettuce, and tomato on a what is it? Seven seed bagel. Oh, nice. With with sausage. Very nice. Every time I go to <laughs> Tim Hortons. I get that in a large double double, and I reckon I could live on those. Yeah. Oh my god, I would. I was double fist coffee when I got because I yeah. I had caffeinated noon tabs that I would take yep. 
but um, if I got to a town that had coffee, I'd always buy like, yeah, like two. Oh. Actually, it would be a large uh, triple triple, like tons of yeah. fat and tons yeah. of sugar. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man. I didn't have to eat all day. It was fantastic. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> you're Who just knows what's in it, but it works. Yeah, it's you're just buzzing off that stuff. Uh, are you a coffee snob? Do you drink a lot of coffee? Uh, I have a very nice coffee machine, and uh, one of my friends who lives a couple of blocks away has a very expensive coffee roasting machine, and oh, he's nice. my source of coffee. So <laughs> cool. We, uh, yeah, I like my coffee. In Australia, we are yeah, we're pretty big on our coffee. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say that. I, I, I've never been. I gotta go, man. At some point, but uh, yeah. um, I've heard that the coffee there is fantastic. What's the influence of that? You think? I have no idea. We're very multicultural, right. um, especially after the Second World War. Like, obviously, we're only two hundred and something years old, but especially after the Second World War, there was a lot of people that came across from Europe, and that's why I'm here because my parents came across as children, sort of after the war, and so a lot of the culture is quite recent, um, and so our cafe culture is completely unique to anywhere on earth we you know we happen to have italian and greek and mm. eastern european influences in it but we sort of developed this cafe culture all of its own and even things like starbucks tried to come to australia and went <laughs> fell up like we're good because no they suck <laughs> hate like, starbucks <laughs> yeah our mate around the corner owns his own independent cafe and uh, he makes great coffee and he has a chat to you every day and that's very different to the non-personalized experience of a mass market thing. So I think it's it's not just the coffee, but it's the actual coffee, cafe culture that right. we have, which is just, I, yeah, I'm sure someone knows the answer to that question. I don't know what it is. I just make the most of it. And, uh, yeah, I've got a pretty good coffee machine. I loved it when you had a chat to Doug. Uh, <laughs> yeah. and you guys were talking about coffee and i thought that was the best thing so hopefully this podcast uh as you get in through the through the people that you interview there's more chats like that oh it's for great. sure um we uh he and guy were out here and we did a little well they they went for like a a two-night trip i did yeah. i had to get back because my wife worked so we went out for one night and we're sitting at the picnic table at lake in it in it and uh um doug's pulling out his setup right he's got his coffee yeah. set up and he's like so steve yeah. i'm uh looking forward to seeing your coffee set up <laughs> it's like wow dude you're gonna be disappointed because i've got a via oh. packet right here <laughs> oh. i know i know um i'm super minimalist i really like to be minimalist i didn't even bring a stove yeah like I, i'm a kind yeah. of uh i just like you know if you bring a stove then you've got a canister and a pot and you've got a clean up and then you've got all this yeah. packaged crap and it's yeah. just like usually yeah, i just yeah. bring whole foods and i i don't cook but i do i so appreciate it i want to get a little mocha pot i want to try to find a little like yeah. a two ounce mocha pot that i could bring yeah. <clears throat> i could I think, literally eat no hot food but if i had a coffee in yeah. the morning that's all i need but then yeah you just need all the cooking gear for that so at the moment we've got severe fire bans here at the moment so you're not even allowed uh open fires so last yeah, naked plane, sorry. So last Wednesday night after work, we packed up and rode out to a campsite on our bikepacking bikes, but we couldn't have a coffee in the morning. Oh, so no. I rode back to work in the morning and, um, yeah, my first coffee was my coffee at work. So that's not the nicest thing, getting up at 5.30 in the morning to try to get to work on your bikepacking bike without a coffee. It's pretty rough, man, especially when you, you if you're in an event too and, and in the morning, yeah. it's super early and it's 
foggy and cold and you just yeah. want a coffee and you can't find it anywhere. <laughs> that, like when you see that Suffering. gas station light on and yeah. it's really shitty and cold somewhere and you know that you can get a, co- a hot coffee, that is a feeling that is completely indescribable to anyone who hasn't had that feeling. <laughs> yeah, or just like uh, even even the feeling of finding coffee or, or food or or just civilization or, or sometimes pavement, you know, you'll, you'll hit pavement. You'll be like, Oh fuck. Finally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was riding across the desert on the first race to the rock. So the race. Yeah. To the I want to talk about Australia. that. Yeah. It finishes up at Ayers Rock at, sorry, at Uluru every year. And, um, I was 80 kilo. No, it was a hundred kilometers from William Creek, which is a tiny little town in the desert with just a pub in it. And about 50 people live there. And I knew the uh, bar was, or the kitchen was shutting at nine and it was uh, five o'clock, 5 p.m. So I had to maintain 25 kilometers an hour for four hours, including whatever stops I wanted oh, no. to the place at nine o'clock to get my, um, my dinner. And I, yeah, it's indescribable how happy I was when I got there at about yeah, 8.55 and could order a burger and I was uh, pretty stoked. Tell me about that. that. Oh yeah, it's that for every low there's a high, right? Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you have to really work for them, obviously. Yeah. But um, so the you mentioned race to the rock. I kind of I stumbled across that like two or three years ago, and I remember watching a video yep. of uh, Sarah Hammond. I think she won it a couple yep. times, right? Absolutely. And she was riding along, and actually she was being filmed. So that goes back to the other thing we were talking <laughs> about. <clears throat> but you know, she's gnarly. She's a gnarly chick, and. And yeah. uh, she was like, oh, yeah, I ran out of food, like, I don't know, yesterday or whatever. And she pulled out, like, yeah. this chunk of Parmesan. Yeah. And it looked like a rat had been at it, right? Because she's just like, <laughs> I, I, just like a massive wedge of cheese. And I actually yeah. carry that now because of that video. Because it's yeah, the perfect, yeah. it's dry, salty. Yeah. It'll last for, you know, maybe three, four days <laughs> in your bag. Yeah. I don't know about it in Australia, but... Went- when I was living on my touring bike, I would go into a corner store or a bakery anywhere in the world and I would pick things up. And people must have thought I was weird because I would pick up two cakes and I would like weigh them in the hand. <laughs> and then look at the calories, intense. calorie density. Yeah, was, like, you can't read what's written on them or anything, but you're just constantly in search of the densest thing you could possibly buy. That's so funny. Whatever it is. So, yeah, so, so how far is that race to the rock? Uh, it changes every year. Oh, okay. It always is at Uluru, yeah. um, at the Rock, but it starts in a different spot. It's done four different iterations, but I think this year they're going to go back to the original. So it starts in Adelaide, which is um, a town in South Australia, like in the centre, directly below um, Uluru. So uh, they might end up doing a four-yearly rotation. So. So it's yeah, like, it's it, like over is a uh, thousand kilometers. Like, do you know oh, that? sorry. No, no, it's yeah, okay. Uh, it's thousands of kilometers. So it's always like two to 3000 kilometers. Oh, okay. And it's always very remote because the last thousand kilometers to get to Uluru are always very remote. So you're riding across Gibbo, which is kind of a very flat desert made up of shiny rock, sort of a rock surface. And then you hit the sand. There's hundreds of kilometers of sand to get to Uluru, so it's always um, quite isolated. So, and you know, that last year they started, or 
or the year before, sorry, they started in Tasmania and they had uh, flurries up in the mountains. They called them snowstorms, but they had flurries up in the mountains in Tasmania and then they finished in the desert in 37 degree heat. So it's a really cool race. That's super interesting. So, yeah, I, I'd love to do something that, that, like, super adverse like that or the ITI, like yeah. the Iditarod's running right now. And, yeah. yeah. And uh, that looks fantastic as well. Do yeah. you, do you have yeah. you done any like winter camping like super cold temperatures? No, not yet. No. So I think that'll be something to do when I move to Canada. Sort of, it's one of those things. I think you know, you, it's hard to learn gut feel, and I think gut feel is very important in super cold, icy climates. I think it's something you can't learn. It's something that you pick up over time. So what do you mean by that? Um, so I mean, even the the guys who go, uh, the alpinists who you know know where to go to avoid any um, avalanche shoots, and they know what you know ice you could possibly walk across, but not you know, and the, the ice that you can't walk across, and they know all these different right. things, and they know what their body feels like, you know, if your little pinky starts getting cold, uh, does yeah. that mean you're about to lose it, or do you just need to like stop, warm it up, and keep going? It's very different to perhaps just going through the desert where it gets really hot and dry. <laughs> so I think yeah. the exposure level uh, is probably the same in both those extremes, right? Because I mean, one, you know, yeah. at, at super extreme temperatures, it's all about moisture management, right? You and need to exactly stay dry. Right. <clears throat> this is probably in my head. Like, oh no yeah, doubt. like yeah, uh, you know, I've been in the desert for you know a lot of my life, and I'm completely comfortable with it. It's yeah. just like Chelsea, my partner, who's from Canada. She's knows all about bears, um, but when a small spider in Australia, that's like not great. Well, all the but shit kills me, you I'll in Australia. I'll spider, take it outside, put it in the garden. But when I'm in Canada, I'm worried about bears. <laughs> yeah, we have yeah. bear swatters. It's like, no. Psh. Yeah, but everything in Australia kills you, man. Like, it seems like everything kills you there. It, it does. Do you have like big animals yeah. of prey there? Well, we have crocodiles. Oh, of course. Um, absolutely massive. I sound like an idiot, like I've never been anywhere. <laughs> but it, yeah, yeah, of course you have crocodiles. Moment, um, but you don't, do you have cats? No bear. cats, no, uh, no, like, bear, no, obviously no. a bear type animal. Yeah. Well, the other, like, we've got fires on at the moment and people are uh, saving koalas because their habitats are being destroyed and some of them are, you know, injured. And there was a firefighter who uh, got bitten by a koala. And, um, well, I've heard they can be super, uh, uh, like, uh, violent when they're not chewing yep. on, when they're not high, basically. <laughs> they're, they're never cuddly. This is, they look cuddly. But when you're mountain biking and you hear this horrible guttural growl that you don't know what it is, it's generally a koala. And they're just not the most um, cuddly animals. They just look cuddly. That must be a, an evolutionary process to make them look all yeah. so they can eat humans. Yeah. Oh, hey, little guy, what are you doing in there? <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a thing about, I mean, obviously, well, you've had exposure to bears now. You've been to Canada a few times. Absolutely. But uh, I haven't had any really bad encounters with bears, to be honest. Like, I, I think it, no. that's that, that's that uh, spidey sense you're talking about, that sense of like, yeah. you know, like you'd be riding along and I've, I've just in my backyard here, I've been riding a trail and I've stopped, get a drink of water. I'm like, it smells like wet fur, right? And it's like, okay, I'm getting yeah. the fuck out of here because I shouldn't be smelling wet there fur, go. right? There's something, yeah. there's something weird, something smells weird, and yeah. I'm going to keep going, right? You just, 
but it yeah. was super thick. Like, you yeah. know, I'm not the most observant guy, but when I'm in the woods, I think you're always on a bit of a, you're on a bit of a, your spine yeah. senses are kind yeah. of heightened a little bit. Yeah. But uh, I've never really had super bad encounters with, with wildlife at all. There was a, when I did the lost elephant last year, I was riding along and I think it was on the second day and it was, I think it was like midnight or whatever. And there was cloudy and there was no moon. It was super dark. And yep. I, had, I was just listening to a book and I just had my head down. I was just kind of grinding away on this climb and, and I kind of glanced up and there were these two massive, like the size of, like a, of a gold coin, these two big green eyes. Yep. And they were like, 18 inches above my head and I fucking shit my yeah. pants. And I just remember yeah. the first thing I do, I just, my, my skin tingled. And I was just like, Hey, get out of here. What are you doing here? And the <laughs> thing, and the thing took off, but I had to stop and like collect myself. Cause it was like, yeah, it's yeah. time slows down and it's just, it was so yeah. weird. And, and it's like, it does. I think it ended up, I think I saw its ass. I think it was just like a doe elk or something and it just took off. Yeah, but yeah. Jesus Christ yeah. scared the crap out of me. <laughs> No, I think I've traveled enough now that I just don't even know what I see. So because when I'm in a moment of terror, uh, I don't, you're not thinking about what country you're in at the time. And so one time I was down in country Victoria riding along and I, um, I've never seen a moose. I, I had never seen a moose <laughs> in my life until huge, last man. time I was in Canada a couple of months ago. Yeah. And I know they can be dangerous. And I'm riding along in country Victoria and then I hear this noise in the forest and i see like the behind of an animal and i squealed and chelsea heard me from like 500 meters behind. <laughs> i thought it was a moose but it wasn't it was obviously just a deer but at the time i didn't know <laughs> when i did see a moose um a couple of months ago in canada i was riding along through the snow um near edmonton just near chelsea's parents house and i saw two moose and i in saint albert where dean lives and okay. i um and I stopped and I rang her and said, "Are moose dangerous?" And she kind of laughed. And then she <laughs> that, yeah, well, they can be. So she said, "Yeah, just don't go too near them." But you know, it's that uncertainty. You don't know, do you? No, it's funny. Have you ever done a, a single speed world championship? Like you know, the ones that kind of go around the globe. Like yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, every, yeah. yeah I went up yeah. to Alaska in 2014 and did one with my buddy yeah. Jordy and and Kevin and. um we saw some moose up there, Alaska moose, man. Holy crap. They're massive. Like they're freaking oh, wow. massive. And there's like this uh, paved uh, trail that kind of like circumnavigates the town. So you can get to different parks and out by the yeah, ocean yeah, yeah. and stuff. And we were riding yeah. out just to try to find some single track on, on the first day we were there. And we we're just kind of cruising yeah. along. And, and my buddy Jordy's like, holy crap, Steve, look at that. And we look down, excuse me. And there's, um, there was a moose there and it was like the size of a freaking bus. Like it was just this massive animal. Wow. And there were people like 30 feet away from it, like taking pictures yeah. of it. And our first nah. instinct was like, just get the hell out of there, man. It's absolutely, it's, it's like regardless, it's a moose and they are pretty docile, but it's like any, any yeah. uh, wildlife, you know, would kick your ass. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, if yeah. you, if you bug them enough. Right. And yeah. uh yeah, but it was it was it had it seemed like it was twice as big as a moose in Canada to me. Yeah. And they're kind of elusive. It's not like I've seen hundreds of moose because they're you know, you yeah. don't see a lot of them, but no, geez, that's the thing. Awesome. I spent many months in Canada and I spent a lot I spent a while on um, Newfoundland and you know, that place there's moose everywhere and I never saw any. So I was pretty happy to see one like two hundred meters from uh Chelsea's parents' house. That that's cool. Yeah. I haven't seen a cougar yet either. 
So what's the story? Are they? Well, they're super bad? elusive, right? Like, yeah. um, I, you know, I'm, I'm not under, I have no misconceptions when I, I ride at night a lot, even in yeah. the, in the summer, sometimes I'm at night in the woods at night and it's like, um, yeah. I have no misconceptions that I'm not being watched constantly. I'm sure I'm being watched Absolutely. either by deer or by yeah. elk or by yeah. cats or, yeah. um, even bears. Like I'm sure of it. Yeah. I'm being watched, but, um, my, my yeah. wife, I think it was last winter. She was uh, hiking around kind of in the back of town here and, and she had a big group and she had some kids and they were just kind of walking around and she looked up and her headlamp caught a fucking cougar and it basically yeah. stalked them. Right. She was like, okay. And she's kind of like a, a search and rescue chick. She, she kind of was on the search and yeah. rescue board here. So she's, she has super good kind of uh, intuition and she's like, okay, everybody yeah. get together, shut that dog up. You know, let's get together, keep the kids in the middle. Wow. And, you know, they turned around, they started walking out and then she looks up and, and there it is again. Like, so it's basically like I'm just yeah. circling around, trying to wait, for, waiting for that dog to get loose, to get a snack. Wow. But, you know, like I've, you know, if you've had cat, a cat as a pet, you can imagine what, how dangerous that thing would be if it was yeah. like 200 pounds or whatever. It's just like, exactly. Yeah. It's crazy. And, and so uh, yeah. they're in there, but at the same time, you can't. Yeah. You can't stop doing shit because there's wildlife nah. out there. Like they don't want anything yeah, to do with you. you. We stink and we have a shitty diet. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I smell like beer. So what else are we going to talk about? I had some questions. Yeah. I should have been writing shit down. No, no. Uh... So you're in your fall now, right? You're going into winter now. Yep. 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 What do you do in the winter? Do you get snow where it's... you are? Yeah, so where we live, uh, one of the benefits about where we live is that it's all year round. You can do things, do whatever you want, because if it's really hot, you can just, um, you know, wear less clothes and make sure you're not out in the middle of the day. And when it's really cold, you can just do the same thing, um, but rug up. And so about 200 kilometers from where we live is beautiful, pristine beaches in one direction. And 200 kilometers in the other direction is snow. Oh, nice. Um, in winter for about four, four months of the year. So in winter, we go, uh, snowshoeing a lot. Um, we don't really fat bike because the snow here isn't of the right quality to fat bike. It's not anywhere near consistent enough. So you might be able to go out, but nothing's packed, mm. um, unless you go to an actual ski resort and there's cross country skiing trails, but the, there's no real fun in that. So, um, yeah, fat biking here isn't really a thing in winter. It's a bit of a novelty. People go out. Oh, people right. own fat bikes. But um, it's not like it is in Canada where you would sort of go out and explore a bit and then do some overnight um, camping. So, yeah, in winter we, we still definitely get up there um, and explore a lot. But uh you can easily probably what I would like to do is ride from my house up into the mountains with uh, the snowshoes on the back and oh, sort yeah. of um, then bikes up somewhere, hide them somewhere and sort of snowshoe until we get somewhere and hike. So that might be a bit of a, an expedition to do, but you certainly wouldn't go out specifically fat biking in the snow to go camping or specifically snowshoeing because right. we don't have enough coverage. There's a lot of backcountry, but it's not anything like what you guys have got. And, our tallest mountain is 2,200 meters and it's not a mountain. It's sort of a, a uh, rise, like a really gentle slope. <laughs> so, yeah. Right. So it's nothing uh, extraordinary. Yeah. The fat biking here has really taken off 
Like there's, gro- there's groomers now. Like, yeah, it's, it's yeah. actually, you know, I, I'm the kind of guy I like to kind of, I, I don't, I don't really necessarily want the groomers all the time. Like I want to get off my bike mm-hmm. and have to push it through snow or, or yeah. like go down to two PSI and try to pedal through snow and stuff. But it's getting harder yeah. to find in certain areas because um because we have so many riders here now. It's just it's a naturally yeah. tire packed so, trail. It's amazing. What's a groomer? Is that someone on a um a snow what's the snowmobile? Or yeah, is that well, someone like walking in snowshoes or is it what it's the whole thing. So you can groom a trail by traffic, right? Like there's an, yeah. if there's enough fat yeah. bikers going through, you'll end up with, you know, like a you know, a two, a two foot yeah. wide or one foot wide track. Yeah. So it's, we, we joke because it's, it really improves your riding skill. Cause it's like you're riding skinnies all the time through <laughs> all winter. Yeah. Cause if there's Absolutely. lots of snow and you go off, you're done or you'll post hole and it's, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah you're yeah. basically riding bridges, right? It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah. So you got the tire pack stuff and then people, some people will go out in um, snowshoe pack trails yeah. and then go and ride them. And yeah. then there's the snowmobile. Like people can go yeah. snowmobile tracks are notoriously really shitty because uh, that track just churns it up. Right. right? So if yeah. if you can, if you leave it a couple of days through cold weather, it's just like a, like grooming yeah. at a resort. It'll, it, yeah, it uh, yeah. crystallizes it and then it hardens. And then, so snow yeah. tracks can be good, but ordinarily they're not that fun. And yeah. then, um, so last, uh, the year before last, our local bike club did a GoFundMe and they bought a thing called a snow dog. You heard of that before wow. so ah. imagine um you can google google it later but it's a yeah imagine a shopping cart yeah with a motor and yeah. a track under it right so yeah. it's not like a long track like a snowmobile it kind of a shorter track and then you would you would um stand on some sort of apparatus that you would build or buy yeah. like some sort of grooming apparatus and then you wow. basically drag that thing like the thing will drag yeah. you and the apparatus yeah. through the through the woods huh. and you're like kind of go through the woods and cut your own trail yeah. and then if you leave that then you end up with you know i don't know it's probably not quite th- 36 inches wide or whatever that is yeah 100 centimeters it's probably, i don't know it's like you know whatever but it's uh yeah. it's fantastic and sometimes you'll get a, a groomer and it's just it'll be freshly groomed and it would sit for two days and no one had been on it and it's like you can basically <laughs> rail turns in it like you know it's not that it's slippery but it's like you can kind of yeah. rail your bike if you got the right it's crazy man like the fat biking here is is incredible, and that's Invermere for people who are listening who should come to Invermere yes. with fat bikes because <laughs> it's fucking when awesome. I here. In, <laughs> when I was in Edmonton at Christmas time, I went out riding. There's some great trails along the river valley there, and half the bikes were e-bikes. Ah, um, yeah, and which actually works out well a lot of the time because they would go out when I guess people generally not as many people would go out if they didn't have these e-bikes. So. At least the trails were kind of well trafficked. Yeah. I started having issues because when you're using leg power, especially on a single speed, you sort of need to maintain your momentum. And you didn't, you saw a bike coming towards you and you didn't know they're an e biker and then they would not move over. And so you'd stop and then you'd realize they're on an e bike and they don't need to maintain their momentum because they can keep riding. And yeah. I would have to try to get back on my single speed and get moving again. <laughs> so that was a bit frustrating, but it was a bit of give and take because they were out and they were grooming the trails through their riding. So I was sort of a bit happy and sad about the whole situation. <laughs> what do you think about e bikes? I think they're absolutely brilliant. Um, but, you know, 98% of people who ride them probably don't need to be on them 
um, I'll be on one one day, you know, because yeah. it'll be able to give me a bit more range when my body starts breaking down or whatever. And um, they're going to get lighter and lighter and lighter. But at the moment, on the bike paths around Canberra where I live, which has uh, got a really good path path network, I think they're still uh, having some teething issues with people who don't want to be stuck in traffic. So they're jumping on e-bikes and they're riding the way they probably drive their car, which isn't the nicest. Uh, they're, they're a bit um obnoxious on the paths and then out on the trails i've heard of people um not being treated very well by e-bikes coming up behind them when they're trying to climb and things so there's these attitudes but that happens in every single walk of life so it's you know there's, there's not nice people everywhere but at the same time i see more bikes like fully kitted out mountain bikers with knee guards and everything on riding probably 10 kilometers from where the closest trailhead is, which means they've ridden to the trailhead mm. rather than driven. And then they've done 10 runs on a hill, mm-hmm. and which they wouldn't have done. They would have driven there and then done three or four runs if there's no shuttle and then driven home. But now they're, they've got this ability to go and you know, do longer days and the bikes are amazing and they're still the same people. They're still great people. So like everything, it's a bit of hit and miss. Um, and I think we're a bit early. You know, there's definitely some teething issues with respect to uh, the speeds people are doing in areas that they perhaps can't handle a bike, especially on bike paths. Um, and almost every single person I've spoken to, we have 25 kilometer an hour speed limits for our e-bikes and everyone I've spoken to has chipped their e-bike. So it does... <laughs> You can chip them. You can chip them. And there's no, well, you you do whatever. I don't know. You probably just plug your iPhone into it and change it. But, um, uh, yeah, so there's no policing of it. Right. So there's people flying along bike paths at 30 or 40 kilometers kilometers an hour that really have never moved at that speed in their life. Um, I I think you're right. I think uh, I agree with everything you're saying. Uh, every time I, I ask people's opinion about e-bikes, I kind of change my opinion. My opinion shifts yeah. and it evolves. Yeah. Like, uh, um, I see their value. I see, uh, for people who are, you know, it would get a lot, it gets a lot more people out on bikes who would ordinarily not yeah. be riding bikes. It's yeah. the, a bike is a pretty awesome machine, right? As it yeah. is, right. It's a pretty awesome yeah. machine. And, and, uh, I just, it, for, it's for me, it's an environmental thing to me it's it's really it's complicated i think but it's we seem to be putting batteries in more shit right that and little electric motors and shit. i've never thought of yeah, yeah that is and like that is so we've got this elegant machine that is self-sustaining and almost perpetual motion if you keep eating and drinking beer and then now <laughs> yeah. into something which isn't quite recyclable yet definitely is going to be affected hugely by marketing so people will be going out and buying the latest and greatest every two or three years mm-hmm. and what are they going to do with all the electronics that's connected to it that's right. not all going to be recycled carbon fiber can't be recycled half these bikes are carbon fiber yeah they actually go obsolete whereas that that bike we were talking about before that you're riding that's almost you know um retro now yeah that's not going to happen with e-bikes that you're never going to have retro e-bikes no um you know, I did a podcast. My first podcast on on Bikepack Canada was with Katrina Rosen, and she 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 kind of been, she's been dealing with an injury, and super yeah. athletic woman, but um, yeah. her uh, she's got this leg issue, and e bikes have saved her life, right? 
so yeah so in that respect that's when i she's the one who really changed my mind of it because yeah. i'm a bit of a, a bit of an old school guy i guess i'm like really yeah. mike um I, I was riding uh just around here some sometime and i try i kind of created my own route and i was in a not very well traveled kind of area grassy double track and yeah uh, this family was coming up and all three of them had e-bikes and all three yeah. of them were were younger than me you know like, yeah like in their you know yeah you know, forties, early forties, kind of like, yeah. you know, and, and his two daughters were teens. And, and in my yeah. head a little bit, cause I'm a bit of a dick, I guess sometimes I'm like, you gotta earn your turns, man. Like what are you, <laughs> you got this motor on your bike. It's like, it's, I just rode like 80 K to get here fully loaded. Yeah. And like, you're just, doo -doo -doo. you know, so, so a bit of it is but, just like, like I was saying earlier yeah. about the video, it's like, I, I feel sorry for some people, you know, who are on an e-bike they're not experiencing, experiencing what yeah. we're experiencing and there's uh, you know that's very arrogant of me to say it, i feel totally arrogant there's some people out there who I don't said. need them and will never know what it's like to push their own limits yeah um yeah and and i just think in this day and age of um you know obesity and yes yeah. heart disease and yeah. sedentary you know lifestyles it's like yeah and then, yeah. so going back anyway, back to the to the environmental side of things, it's just like what you said. It's like they're gonna replace it every year. You know, yeah. um, you're basically you're only offsetting the carbon footprint from from yeah. from oil and gas, like yeah. uh, or sorry, not oil and gas. What am I talking about? Bananas, yeah. <laughs> eating bananas <laughs> to power yeah. your bike to to yeah. basically now you're you're yeah you may be commuting every day on your e bike, yeah. and I appreciate that. And it makes for cleaner yeah. air. I understand that, but then they've yeah. got to make this massive mine out in the desert in Australia, yeah. and they got to pull nickel, yeah. and they've got to pull, yeah. you know, uh, all these elements out of the ground to make the battery. And then they're going to encase that battery in a bunch of plastic, and they're going to wrap that in carbon fiber and put some wheels on it. And, yeah. and so it's just like, and maybe that's why I like aluminum and steel bikes as well, because it's just like, yeah. If it yeah. if you bury it, it'll just disappear, right? It'll just rust yeah. and disappear. Yeah. I don't no, know, man. The few bike brands that have, you know, the, they almost expect them to break the carbon fiber frames, and they'll replace them, no questions asked. And but then what happens to them? That is wrong. Yeah, they just go in the garbage. Yeah, yeah. I just so uh, back to the marketing yeah, no. thing. Like marketing's great; it's awesome. It drives yeah. the sport. Yeah. It makes more people yeah. ride bikes, which is awesome. Which I'm yeah. sure has some yeah. economic benefit in some city somewhere. Yeah. I know yeah. it's funny. It's 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 so complicated, right? <clears throat> it is, and like you said, like I, I um I've got some health issues. Like I've got an irregular heartbeat, and I've been undergoing testing for like almost a decade to try to figure out what's wrong with me. I've got chronic nerve pain, which is undiagnosed, and so I've Often when I've been sick for a month or so, sort of looked at the e-bike option because, yeah. you know, it's there. And without bikes, I don't know what I would do. And that's the so thing that changes my mind. Pressure. Yeah, okay. that's the thing that changes changes my mind is like the, to know yeah. that you would be at home suffering and feeling like shit. Yeah. Whereas you could just get on a, a an e-bike and go for yeah. a cruise and expend yeah. a fraction of the energy you would have. I totally, that changes yeah, my yeah. mind on bikes, right? yeah, yeah. on e-bikes. Yeah. And the thing actually going back <clears throat> to what you're saying about, you're basically talking about trail etiquette before, right? Like yeah. people are riding up behind you and they're like, what's the problem? And I do, why are you going so slow? And I'm on my e-bike and I've got a motor. And yeah. it, it reminded me of, 
so I started snowboarding in um, like the eighties, right? Like yeah. mid eighties. Yeah. And yeah. there were very few of us, right? And most of them were, and most of them, most of us skied before. And then yeah. you know, we skated. So, so there's etiquette, right? There's a certain type of etiquette yeah. when you go skiing. It's just like golf and people might laugh at yeah. that, but it's just like, no, you stay right. You don't stop underneath and rise. Yeah. You know, there's certain rules that yeah. that everyone abides by to kind of make the experience better and i find then okay. i found that when the younger snowboarders started coming out i'm gonna sound like such a yeah. fucking old man right now but it was like <laughs> they didn't give a shit right they were just like oh. beelining yeah. everything and they, yeah. they didn't give a shit who was in their way or or what and they were just beelining anyway and it's not nothing against them they're having a blast but they just yeah. didn't have that etiquette driven into yeah. them it's kind of like mountain yeah. biking when you're climbing yeah. If you're downhilling, usually it, it depends on flow, right? But ordinarily, yeah. you'd let the climber go by, right? Because yeah. Yeah. they might not be able to get going again. And yeah. I find even that kind of ebbs and flows. But <clears throat> there's etiquette, and and people need to. Yeah. I think people need to realize that it's like walking down the street. You wouldn't like walk like an idiot and zigzag across the street on your phone. Yeah. Well, some people do, <laughs> and you're running into everybody. And do do do. There's yeah. kind of etiquette, right? No, I don't want to like harp on it too much. No, no, no. Lately, no. I noticed e-bike riders when you're coming at each other on single single track, they will not yield. They will just ride onto the side of the trail and ride over scrub because they've got the torque to do it. <laughs> right. So small bushes and things. <sighs> so there's some really nice trail near my house, like 700 meters away, and I was riding along one time, and it's quite fragile. Of course. And um. Uh, I I slowed down and pulled into a safe spot, and then they didn't even slow down. They just rode over all the foliage, and I'm like, you know, it's just they've got the talk there. They can sort of do it. It's etiquette, man. It's just a little bit etiquette, yeah. and then not even etiquette to to your other riders, but etiquette to the yeah the, your natural right. surrounding, right? Like yeah. Just, yeah. Anyway, <laughs> kind of went on an old man rant there. I'm gonna stop. Yeah. <laughs> right. Let's God go. damn it. Podcast or something else. <laughs> Old man rants about the old days. Oh, I've got like almost a whole bottle of this Lone Wolf Fernie Brewing Company Lone Wolf IPA. <laughs> it's uh, it is well, quite I've, citrusy actually. I've just finished my Ben Spoke Crankshaft, which is a local Canberra beer. When you look and for all of their uh, beers are uh, derived from bicycle parts, almost. I was going to so, say, do you when you go to a beer store, are you constantly looking for stuff bike related? Well, it's One funny. Track so line when, kind of thing. in Canada, you've got incredibly large uh, array of beers, beer choices, because you get them not only from your provinces but from the states. And if I go into a, a cold room um, and try to choose a beer, it literally comes down to what the label looks like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, if it's got a bike on it, I'll probably buy it. <laughs> no, so. right. What are we like? Seven? What? Are, what's the problem? <laughs> Yeah. Maybe like seven years old. It's like, oh, I like the picture what are you, on that what are you one. Do? What it's going to taste like. So. It's so funny. So Chelsea yeah. rides bikes too. She's a single speeder as well. Yeah. So we we met. Um, I was riding my bike around the world, and we met on a ferry in Scotland. Um, and she had been traveling for a year and um had hired a bike in Scotland with panniers and everything on it, and was traveling. And then we um decided. Well, we didn't decide. We just started riding together, and then a year later, hadn't killed each other. So uh, we <laughs> just good like, we're all good. She came back to Australia with me because I had uh, a job that I could come back to, and 
she started single speeding then and now I don't think I can get her off single speeds for just everyday riding. For bikepacking, she'll still ride the roller and her gravel bike has gears on it because gravel bikes are great with gears, but um, everything else is single speeding. So, yeah, she's definitely into that. Does she, uh, does she um, like, do events? Like, does she race it or kind of more casual? Uh, more casual. So, yeah. yeah, we just – I mean, she does the occasional event, but both of us are pretty casual. We don't really do many events. I do bikepacking events now because I love bikepacking, but my – dressing up in lycra and, and doing <laughs> road racing and track racing and 24-hour mountain bike racing is sort of all behind me. I yeah. might go back and 24-hour races for old time's sake. But we, um, yeah, I sort of I organize a, a social ride every Wednesday night, which is uh, I try to make it as inclusive as possible, and that's sort of gravel-oriented. And she is there, you know, religiously. It's like our, our thing we do every week and people turn up. But as for official events, nah, we're just – plot along and uh, she hasn't done a, ba- a bikepacking race but i reckon she'd be a bit of a machine well you should get what are you guys actually moving here like do you have a date yeah we are yeah yeah, yeah where you well, well, i'm finishing up at the end of the year we're both quitting our jobs okay. again, and we'll travel again for however long it takes us to get to canada by bike so just sort of bunny hopping around the place um well, well when she gets here we'll 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 meet somewhere We'll Absolutely. we'll send her off. We'll crack the champagne bottle on her back and send her off. <laughs> crack, go, do it. Yeah, she'll probably win it. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I, she's unstoppable. She's like she's. It's one of those things. How do I convince her that she keeps thinking she's slow because I stop and wait? But without blowing wind up my own ass, I'm pretty fast, and she's not that much slower than me. Right. And so it's just a a bit. She she doesn't understand how good she is. I think sometimes she needs to stop. But tell- that happens with a lot of. Them. Yeah, she needs to stop telling herself that those stories, right? Because they're not they're bullshit. We tell yeah, ourselves these definitely. stories and they're all bullshit. We're so capable yeah. we're so capable of so much. And yeah. until you get out there and do it. What do you think of gravel actually? I've, do you follow gravel? I like the gravel follow. racing and stuff? No, definitely not. So I'll watch the occasional so Chelsea plays ice hockey here in Australia. Oh, yeah. so I like how you guys call it ice hockey, because we just call it a hockey here. I know, I know. <laughs> So she goes on Monday nights, so that's my nights. That's to cool. Just watch random bicycle uh, videos on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. About the extent of my knowledge of gravel riding, um, I love it. We both have a gravel bike. I've got a Cannondale Slate, and she's got a bike that I built up with her for her, like an Australian brand, and um, it's great. But if we were going to do any distance and carry any load, we would still just ride our bike back oh, and bikes yeah, because. For sure. You know, you just uh, at the end of the day, you feel twice as fresh on a twenty-seven plus tire, mm. and you haven't really got there that much slower. And um, uh, yeah, gravel bikes are great, but it also depends on where you live. Like the the roads around here are really uh, rocky, whereas when I lived in Victoria, um, the roads were perfect for gravel bikes because they're a lot smoother. So it depends on where you live as well. I just can't get over the, you know, I've been kind of watching it as well. And I know nothing about it. I don't know a lot about the athletes that are in it, but God damn, it's like Tour de France on dirt. It's crazy. It's exploded. And what's that Grand Giro or Grand yeah. Giro or something? A new thing as well, which I actually think uh, could be interesting because it's a bit of sort of everything on the bike. It's, it's, you know, you need to be multi-skilled to yeah. be good at it, which I think is quite interesting, but, in Australia, drivers 
in my mind, Australian drivers are close to the worst in the world. <laughs> yeah. I, I rode my bike around the world and got road rage twice in 30,000 kilometres and then got to Australia and got road rage twice in the first 16 kilometres. So this is the way I look at it. Uh, that's and so that's, a, that's a huge sample as well. So that's very scientific. You have a massive sample, yeah. right? Yeah. So gravel cycling in Australia has really taken off because we do have, we've got endless roads right. and um, you can jump on your gravel bike and, you know, get to a small town, every small town's still got a pub in it and you can go and do these amazing things and still have the camaraderie. Uh, you probably don't need the etiquette, the bunch riding etiquette that you would on a road bike. Mm. So it's a bit more accessible to people. There's a lot of reasons it's very good. And then on, on Monday, you can ride the same bike to work on crappy uh, foot uh, you know, bike path or whatever you want. It's not a road bike and it's not a mountain bike. So there's a lot of... Uh, benefits to i can see why it's appealing to everyone but it's a bit bewildering that it's exploded as a sport the way it has um i don't know where that came from yeah it is pretty crazy it's it's so uh like the uh the level of athleticism the the guys who are yeah. and girls who are winning these these events are just like yeah. it's unbelievable like to su to right. sustain these paces for for what 200 miles like because i yeah you know like the dirty kanza how long is the the XL. Yeah, so, How long is that? Is that like? Yeah, three, I think that's two hundred. Yeah, so like that's like almost three hundred k. Like yeah, that's yeah. and and then when you watch the videos, like three quarters of the way, they're just friggin' hammering. They're still just on. Yeah, yeah, it's it's nuts. Yeah, I don't think it's I have funny. They used to say the Tour de France was the hardest race in the world, and now it's just being eclipsed <laughs> by everything. <laughs> so yeah, it's not to be alive. Yeah, the Tour de France is kind of like Everest of of mountain mountaineering yeah. right yeah. it's like oh everest yeah whatever yeah, yeah whatever. Exactly. everybody's done that <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it's interesting like uh i was listening to uh, actually today i was listening to the rich roll podcast uh, mel yuri do you know her no she did this uh she's australian and she did this um i'm gonna screw it up it's the uh, iron iron man uber the uber man uber man so it's basically yeah. a, a like an Ironman triathlon, but but wow. the, the swim is like like twenty miles, and then the bike ride is like it's something like five hundred k, and then the run is like or sorry like five hundred, no no it's like three hundred yeah. miles maybe, and then the yeah. the run is like like a two hundred mile run or something, and wow. she she she's the first female to ever finish one, huh. and her I don't know how many hours she did it in, but it was crazy just crazy to listen to that so i don't know i'm a big rich roll fan you should listen to it australian i think she did the trans am Absolutely. as well with uh oh she did the trans am with with somebody too i can't remember yeah, yeah. Mel, Mel Uri, Uri? Uri? i don't know mm. yeah so i don't know man you australians are crazy good athletes yeah we we sort of in cycling we're pretty big uh in almost all disciplines it's really strange considering the drivers are so bad <laughs> <laughs> considering you're still alive you haven't been killed by a driver yeah. <laughs> that's so funny <clears throat> yeah what else you got what else do you want to talk about it's been a really good chat man it's been so fun talking to you oh yeah yeah it's it's uh it's good yeah not having a structure because like I've, the the podcast that i've been involved with with ross burridge i don't know if you ever listened to it it's called um the hidden athlete yeah so he interviews athletes um, hidden athletes 
uh, and but it, there's a lot of structure to it, and um, you sort of go through a thing. But then, even with your podcast, with at least the Canadian uh, bike Canada bike path, yeah, you know, <laughs> that's okay. Um, the ones I enjoy the most out of all of the bikepacking podcasts are the ones where they just go off track, and you're just sitting there listening to some people talk shit. I know, but this yeah. I think people like that. You know, I I was. When I when I started doing the Bike Pack Canada podcast, I wanted it to, to be like you were sitting yeah. in a room, yeah. like listening in on a couple people talking about like talking yeah. shit basically or whatever, and absolutely sharing opinions and unpacking ideas. And a lot of the podcasts I listen to are, are can be quite long, and yeah, and um, I, I like delving in and unpacking certain things. And and yeah. uh, and sometimes I think when you have structure, you you might miss. Um, yeah, you miss some Absolutely. idea or some yeah, nuance. Yeah. There's always nuance to everything, right? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know what? I kind of got tired of preparing for for these chats because it's oh, like yeah. there's so many different people and everyone's into so many different things, and it's like I don't yeah. have the time to yeah. to like nah. do my research kind of thing. So yeah. I kind of like going in cold. Yeah, it's yeah, kind of yeah. fun. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, awesome. Yeah, I hope you I hope you dug it. So when I read that you called it my back forty. I thought it was an exclamation, as in over 40, when you turn 40, everything starts hurting. And I thought it was an exclamation, like, my back. But then, because we don't have that phrase in Australia. Right. That's so, so funny. Uh, did, where did you learn it? Did someone explain it to you? No, I Googled it. <laughs> That's so funny. You know what? Someone else commented when I put it up, and they, they were like, Oh, is it a podcast about helping people with sore backs who are in their 40s? <laughs> Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I should have thought about the brand a little bit better. But when I go out, when I go riding my bike, like I yeah. always think to my, it's actually a thought that occurs to me a lot. It's like, wow, my back 40 is pretty awesome. You know, like my backyard's pretty awesome. awesome. So I don't know. That's where it came from. Yeah. I don't know if it's going to, I don't know. I pulled the trigger on it pretty fast. It's all been pretty fast for me, but. Um, yeah, it, everything's, yeah, everything's is, all good. Enough. Like, there's a lot of there's the bikepacking is building up, uh, podcast wise. But I found that yours and like this sounds really bad, but I found that the American ones aren't very good because they're so American centric. Yeah, and so they talk about everything being the hardest in the world and something in the world, and they don't generally recognize that there is the rest of the planet, and and they don't do the general chat. I think yeah. the desolation with um, uh, Justin Dubois or whatever is quite good. He just talks shit, yeah. Um, which you can sort of get around. But there's a few that are pretty bad. And then, yeah, Lewis Cedar is now started his own up. So the guy who won the Tour Divide in 2019. So he's one of my mates in Melbourne. And so he's that'll probably be more racing oriented because he's very serious about racing. But um, so it's good that there's going to be a good, uh, a good like a, something for everyone yeah. in backpacking. Yeah, and I like to touch so, touch on all of it. Like I'm the one I'm. I kind of put the spoiler out today, but I I chatted yeah. with Sofian there a couple of days ago. And oh yeah, and yeah. Uh, it's it's interesting to you know to talk to 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 like say the Nat Rainbows. And then, yeah. then to talk to the Sofians or the the Evan Deutsches, absolutely. And it's because it's like yeah. I think what I found is that everyone's experience, regardless of their yeah. level of athleticism, yeah. is kind of the same. Yeah. The journey is the same. Absolutely. It's just the fit guys just do it faster. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> they're, well, they're still suffering. They're still suffering out there, yeah. right? At some level. That's what Eddie Merckx said like a long time ago. Yeah, you know, just because you're fitter doesn't mean it doesn't hurt. You just go faster. Yeah, it's 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 just different, right? And uh, yeah. So yeah, I kind of want to I want to mix it up, and I don't know. I might even branch out a little bit away from from cycling and n- not not yeah. but have the odd podcast with yeah with yeah. um like even endurance runners because that's been something I've and just just to get an Absolutely. idea of like like how do you yeah. what's your mindset and how do you yeah, eat yeah, yeah. especially in the self supported yeah. realm it's like yeah. how do you even care I mean I know there's checkpoints and stuff but yeah. like when I yeah. think of running fuck even like 10k I'm like oh my god yeah. 10k are you kidding yeah. me you know no, I, and uh, the second I ever did was with a guy who ran from Canberra and he did the um the one of the Alpine running alpine hiking trails here he did the fastest known time on it and i had no idea what it entailed like you know he had to carry all his own stuff and have the occasional resupply and stuff because he obviously can't carry everything but it was just really fascinating it was great that i could sort of relate but it was something completely new as well so yeah like which gets me thinking sorry what's your what's your strategy going to be for like the uh the epic are you like a non-sleeping person are you a sleeping person are you like carry food cooking gear what do you do i'm still learning ty i'm still kind of yeah like i've only really completed two and uh i think what it was was a mindset thing so so everybody's different some people need to work on their the physical side and some people need to work on the mental side and not to say that i'm a, a this amazing elite athlete but i ride bikes a lot to the point yeah. where my body is just broken, right? I'm started doing yoga, yeah. yoga and stuff, just trying yeah. to open my joints up. Absolutely. Um, but but the physical side and the and the the biking skill and the camping yeah. skill and the packing skill, I I, th- yeah. I feel pretty confident in that. So it's more of a mental yeah, yeah. game. So I think yeah, for what I've been kind of thinking is that I don't sleep very well when I'm out there anyway, and I think that right, not that like I. I've I hallucinated a bit on the epic when I did it a couple of years ago, but not nothing crazy. But you know, and it's not like I was up for whatever that was, like sixty hours or seventy hours, like Sofiane or anything like that. But Does maybe I can really? maybe I can do that. I, I have no idea. I haven't really yeah. done that yet. I think I'm gonna not. Yeah. My first day goal last year was to get just to get to shoot lake, and uh, yeah. that would have been the biggest, the longest distance I've ever done in a in in yeah. kind of one go. And uh, if I didn't have yeah. my the ass issues I had on that race, I probably would have been able to go yeah. farther. But I think this time around, I want to. I don't. I think I want to do a twenty four hour. I just want to go as far as I can on that first day. Yeah. And then maybe think about the sleep personally after that. Me, yeah. Personally, for me, I found that I I can't plan that kind of thing. I can't plan sleep and lack of sleep. And this, I find that. Uh, I have no problems with motivation whatsoever on the bike. I never have these sit down cries or wonder <laughs> why there are any of these I've things. I've cried. That's not, not <laughs> taking away from anyone who does that. I've um, cried, Ty. Don't but, judge me, but I've cried. <laughs> but the one thing that I know about myself unequivocally is that uh, the best thing for me to do is ride until I feel tired and then go to sleep and get up when the sun comes up. Mm. So what I try to do is ride until really late and then go to sleep with enough time to get a good sleep and get up with the sun because then I have motivation. It's like a fresh yeah. start. I'm never able to get up in the dark 
and get moving that it's just tough. ruins me so yeah. so yeah it's one of those things that i learned uh, i guess over time but um yeah think, so that's my strategy but i feel the same way it's like i don't i don't i want to just the, that first day or 24 hours i'm just gonna i want to at least surpass it's just a yeah. goal. I think I'm going to try to get past Shoot Lake. That's a, That's a different matter altogether if you've got a goal. Yeah. Well, a goal. or I mean, I keep them loose, right? You have to be flexible. But if I can get to Shoot yeah. Lake, I remember past Shoot Lake, super yeah. mellow. It was flat. And then it was kind of like downhill. I think that was basically the top. Yeah. And then you're on rail grade and you downhill for quite yeah. a while, if I remember correctly. Yeah. And um, so that's like free That's free energy right there, right? So if I get to the yeah. top and I'm still, I've got my head about me and I'm not, like yeah. sleep riding i'll just keep going and then maybe grab a power nap but i always find that one it takes a bit of time you know to set up yeah and then even at home i'm I'm not the type of person that hits the bed and like like yeah, i'm not just fine. i'm not that way yeah. or anyway right so yeah. you know i'm all eye shifty like i'm just laying in bed yeah. thinking and i can't turn off and yeah. eventually i think i just get tired and fall asleep but uh do you carry a hat like a proper backpack sleeping oh uh, Oh yeah, I carried a. I did carry a, a mat. I think because I'm such a shitty sleeper anyway. I, I think I yep. better carry a mat just just to add a bit of comfort. Well, that's the thing for me. You know, this, I, I think even if you're going to get a small amount of sleep, having a comfortable mat means that yeah. sleep is more quality. So I religiously carry a um, a thick uh, Thermarest mat to inflatable. And even when I did the last race. I did in Australia, the Victoria Divide. I didn't carry a sleeping bag, but I still carried a mat. Right. Um, because I knew that if I lay down, I, I, sometimes I wake up and I don't know where I am because I feel like <laughs> I'm in a bed. It's that comfortable. That's oh, what shit. Want. That's comfortable. Is that the uh, the yeah. Neo Air or whatever? Is that the one? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I got to get yeah. me one of those. I have uh, that green, um, the Static V, you know, the yeah. one with the Vs in it. It's it's not bad. I think it's a bit heavy. Yeah. But I think Is it's that not. Is that your back? It's what? Is that specifically for long? It's not one of those ones with the holes in it. No, it's not one of the um, X-frame yeah. ones that have all the holes. It's, right, right. it's the yeah. proper one. But you know what I noticed on the Tour Divide this year, watching Lael's video, she had that the blue foamy just on the on her seat yeah. pack. That's just, yeah. I have one of those. And the thing is about that, it'll never go flat. You can just roll it out. Uh, yeah. It, it is a bit kind of... Well, I haven't. But there I don't. I don't sleep that well anyway. So maybe it won't make a difference. I don't know. Are they pretty shitty? That are designed to stop you from getting cold, not from. Of course. So they're designed to insulate you from the surface. Of course. That you're sleeping on, not yeah. necessarily for. So, yeah, if you're not going to sleep well, or if you're a back sleeper, they're probably absolutely fine. But you probably find if you're lying on your side, they're not going to be amazing. But again, everyone's different. You might. They might be perfect for you. Yeah, I just. I was just trying to think of ways to you know you you want to you don't want to carry too much yeah and, but but you want to like you know what rj sawyer said in one of the conversations i had with him is like you want to respect the trail you want to bring at least enough stuff yeah. that you know you're yeah. not you're not being careless about you yeah. know and not not caring not like not carrying a mat is careless it's it's a suff- yeah. it's a choice of how much you want to suffer really it's yeah, like, yeah 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 but no i don't carry a sleeping bag either i usually just just my puffy and and I get into an yeah, SO, right. one of those SOL escape bivvies. And, uh, yeah, 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 they're great. So that's yeah. what I carried. I always carry a sleeping bag, but then this race I did recently, the weather was going to be good, so I just carried the, the SOL and had a puffy and uh, I think some 
uh, merino longs, and yeah. I was amazing. Yeah, that's, they're they're pretty amazing. It would have been nice to have some down pants. I want to get a good pair yeah. of down pants, but it's just like I just can't afford it. I can't afford to buy that no. shit. <laughs> It's like so. It's like rab pants are like four hundred bucks or four ninety nine or something. It's like absolutely Jesus, man. And my jacket, my I just have an Endura, yeah, um, uh, Prima Loft. So it'd be nice if it was yeah. down. It'd be a bit lighter, packed down a bit better. But it served yeah. me well, and it's super yeah. effective. Like you don't you don't need yeah. a sleeping bag. You really don't. No, not in the summer anyway. Like that's that's enough insulation. And same thing with like a like uh, either merino or some sort of synthetic yeah. legging and then wool yeah. socks right warm feet yeah. usually equals a warm body kind of thing yeah. so but yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm i'm super pumped i'm really really excited and i think i'm did pumped you, to... go ahead did you go out and buy or you kid at once or were you like a lightweight backpacker once or hiker or something um well, i had a bit of camping experience i was never like some yeah. hardcore hiker or anything like that but yeah I just remember I, I was, uh, researching a lot, like YouTube yeah. a lot and forums a lot and just seeing what other people carried and then trying to relate that to your own experience. And, but the best, the best measure is to just pull the trigger on what you think you need. And then you just have yeah. to do your first event and you, you know what? You're going to make mistake. You're going to carry way too much on your first event and you're going to realize like, what yeah. the fuck did I bring all this shit for? I don't need this. <laughs> right. So it's <laughs> like, race I did with like months after I stopped touring like so when i was touring i had four panniers and a trunk bag oh my god and my bike was 50 kilos and so the first bikepacking event i did geez my bike almost looked like a touring bike even yeah. though it was all bikepacking gear and then uh, but luckily uh you know i had a lot of gear to choose from but i feel really sorry for some people who decide that they want to get into bikepacking and then have to go and do their research on the internet and buy all these things. And as you know, it's all trial and error um, coming up with what's your perfect kit. And it takes years and years. And some of these things are expensive mistakes mm, to make yeah. because if you use a down sleeping bag or down pants once, you, you know, you're going to lose half the value because you can't sell them as brand new anymore, yeah. even though they practically are. Exactly. So it's a really hard thing to get into, especially with the lightweight stuff, because we're trying to fit things onto our bike in weird ways. Yeah. That's not normal. You know, panniers are great. You just shove everything in. It doesn't matter if it's a weird shape or if it's synthetic over down, because you're not worried about the size and how it packs. But on our bike packing, it's really difficult. It's a difficult sport to get into, I think. Well, it seems like a lot of people are, um, uh, going to the micro pannier thing, right? Like the the little like yeah. Re- Revelate makes those little panniers, and so that's what shows you know. I run, oh yeah, uh, living it up again. So we'll be running complete bikepacking gear that we run every weekend, except we'll have micro panniers because we're going to be living on the bikes again. There's really no other way to do it, I don't think. Um, everyone you see living on their bikepacking bike is kind of doing the same thing. Yeah. Um, as long as you keep your front wheels, uh, well. The, the weight on your handlebars and forks, as long as you keep that a bit um, less so that you still got the handling on the rough terrain, the micro panniers won't affect you too much. So it's pretty good. Do you know, do you follow Guy Stewart? Yeah. Yeah. So he started that. You just interviewed him. Yeah. And he started that bike packers foundry or uh, Sarah, his daughter starting it. He brought me um, a down tube bag. Yeah. You were talking about it. It's awesome. Yeah. It's like, um, the the bike that I'm planning on on riding if I if I uh, I'll do a single speed I'm gonna do it so yeah um I want to yeah I want to offload a bunch of stuff the frame because the triangles are really small 
I can't really yeah, get a lot yeah. of stuff in there. But that down tube yeah, bag, yeah. man, is awesome. Like wow. I can, if I wanted, I won't bring a shelter. But if I did, it would bring. You know, I could bring my tarp, yeah. which is the size yeah. of basically like a one liter Nalgene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With so that stakes and cord, that'll go right down yeah. inside that that down tube yeah. bag. Like oh. it's just such a great place to put stuff. Yeah. And um, I'll plug him now. Like gonna... Bikepackersfoundry.com. He's like, I think he's going to sell plans cool. for not only that. Or he might sell it, fender bag. He calls it a fender bag. He might sell, but then he's he has plans yeah. for um for a rack that you can build for your yeah. back. That's just all yeah. like from the hardware store. So there you go. Yeah, the down two bag's rad. It's pretty cool. Yeah, I'll have to have a look because I don't exactly know what you mean. Because I have a one point five liter now gene under my down tube. Keep talking, but there's still a lot of wasted space above that, which I guess is where what you're talking about. Yeah, it's like, uh, yeah, right here. Uh, yeah, yep, yep, yep. So that, yeah, this part here goes under your, you yep. know, by your, by your headset. And then yeah, that, yeah, yeah, yeah. This yeah. part's down under your. Under there, yeah. Yeah. Yes, yeah, so like, I would need one. If I could get one half that size or make one half that size, then that would be a heap of stuff, yeah. Yeah, you get a lot of shit in there. Like, if and if you're yeah. camping, you, I mean, I could put my stove in there. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It might get crushed. I don't know because it's. I don't know. I have no idea. But it's just it, such it, a nothing hits there. I mean, that's a very safe place to have stuff. Yeah, so, unless yeah. you're throwing your bike over trees and stuff. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's. I don't know if there's a right. There's not a right kit. There's not a right way to no. pack your bike. It's just what the no. only thing I really no. like about packing um, that that I really need to have is a tight kit. Yeah. Like you know, it should be like if you if you shake your bike, it shouldn't be like flop, flop, like the floppy bags and shit. Like it has to be tight. It's taken me, yeah. It's taken me years, but I can ride single track on my fully loaded bike packing bike. And it feels like a heavy bike. It, it doesn't affect the handling. And no, it's just move. like, yeah, heavy, but it's not. Yeah. And yeah. then I look at some people and they've got, you know, that I don't know if it's a fad. It seems like a fad, the front rack, which is one of the worst places you can put weight. Cause then you can't, You've got you've got no reflexes because the the weight is above your front wheel and in front of your axle. Right, and I think that's kind of crazy because uh, every I've got a commuter bike that's got a front rack on it, and I know that I can't react quickly. Oh, interesting. Because the weight is way out in front. Yeah, and um, and so whenever I can, I don't use a bar roll because I know that's going to affect the weight. But mm -hmm. I had some forks custom made so that I can put anything cages and water bottle water bottles on them and so all the weight's down really low and my bike still handles perfectly on single track as i was just saying and i think yeah once you've spent a bit of time doing all that trial and error and then you get everything tight like you're saying there's nothing like it yeah there seems so, to be a, a definite trend with the the experience racers yeah. like you notice that on the iti is that their their front setup is just like you know they don't have a role or no. they may, but it'll be a down bag or something, right, or whatever. Exactly. But try just enough. shunting out like everyone. A lot of a lot of the guys are riding those uh the salsa black barrels, right? So it's like you're shifting Absolutely. everything to the back of the bike. Yep. And exactly. uh, so I'd like to try to not. I just have a couple feed bags and then not have a roll. Yep. Maybe if I can get away with yep. it, I don't know. Yeah. Maybe another yep. top tube bag would be good. Like I, yeah, I, I run mine up my seat seat tube, and it'd be nice to have a front yep. one. Maybe another mag tank or something. I really like the yeah, mag well, tank. Reversed that goes attaches to my seat post and goes along the top tube. Yeah, 
So I've got two top tube bags. And so one of them's just full of tools and random shit and the other one's full of snacks and batteries and stuff. So yeah, it's just all figuring out where things go. <laughs> and then, you know, you're, I, I find too, you'll take your, you'll pack it and you'll be like, nice. I know where everything is. Yeah. And yep. then you get like two days in and you're like, that, why did I put that there? That doesn't make any sense. That and, was and, my rule when I was living on my bike was put everything away the second you stop using it. Oh, put yeah. It where it from. yeah. Because if you've got panniers, you've got four of them. Yeah. And if you don't know where something is, it will be in the last pannier you check. Yeah. Unless you know where you've put yeah. it. It's like you just yard so sale. Was, you get to where you're stopping. It's like, pow, yeah. all your shit's everywhere. Yeah. So that was my hard and fast rule. And even like, even then I was finding stuff. I found a small bottle of wine in the bottom of a pannier <laughs> three weeks after I bought it. That's so funny. So, That's yeah. a lot. You're carrying a lot of stuff, man. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's a lot of stuff. I can't believe I did it, but I'm glad I did. Like, it didn't affect me. Um, still did a pile of, like, you know, you see all these people riding through um, the Altiplano in, in Bolivia on all their bikepacking bikes now with all their state-of-the-art kit, and we did it on touring bikes with four or five patties. <laughs> so yeah. Anything doable, we probably don't do it as fast, but we're still doing big days and um everything changes and back then there wasn't yeah there wasn't that much bikepacking gear anyway it was only five years ago but yeah pretty much we're really it's it's exploded since then so what kind of bags do you run what what uh company are you running everything oh just this is one of the things yeah absolutely literally every bag is a different brand because everyone does something well so i think um If you did, you know, if you happened to become really successful and got sponsored, what would you do? Because no company makes everything well. No. Like, and so everything I've got is, um, is stuff I've selected for a specific purpose. So I really like Oveja Negra. Like, the, mm. um, they, they make really tough stuff and it's well thought out. But then, of course, Revelate's perfect. They do everything well. Yeah. Um, and then Outkit from the UK make really good gear and you can get it custom made quite cheap and they're a co-op. Um, and then there's Australian companies that make really good stuff and you just, I think it would be impossible to set up a bike perfectly with one brand. Um, yeah, I agree. I, I, I find what I find about the, um, I don't want to talk poorly of any companies, but yeah. Um, I just, because at the time, you know, however, a handful of years ago when I was buying stuff, you know, porcelain rocket is really close to me. So, so, you know, and the bag I have, it's not a waterproof bag and that's actually fine because I'm a Ziploc king. Everything goes into a Ziploc anyway, but his shit is bomber, man. Like I have like the zippers and the, the, just the, the Velcro, just the stitching. It's just bomber, bomber shit. And it it seems like, and I agree with the same with the Oveja Negra. Like I, I talked yep. to uh, Aaron Weinsheimer. He's a sewer for them yep. back yep. last summer. And That's uh, right, yep. I was looking at his stuff. And, and of course, he his was custom, his bike. <clears throat> but goddamn, was it nice stuff. Like just oh, nice, tight detachments yeah. and good fabric and, and tight Absolutely. zippers. And, yep. and I find some of, the, some of the stuff that's getting pumped out uh, – Again, I'm I'm not going to mention anything, but it just it just seems yeah. like a little frilly, like yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like it's not made for the long haul kind of thing. No. It's not made for no. someone who's going to go and 
really use that stuff, yeah. right? And, Absolutely. Um, that's that's what I find. I would really yeah. push people to go go to go to these small custom builders like Porcelain yeah. Rocket or um, yeah. um, Thief in, in Ontario, yeah. Thief Bikepacking. Those guys, like, yeah. you know, they're they're so invested in their stuff, and they're really or yeah. Ovea Negra in the states. There, yeah. yeah, they put a lot of care and effort into making really good stuff. Yeah, yeah. No, so it's hard. Um, but we're lucky. Yeah, we are lucky. We're lucky we have so many choices, actually. Yeah, yeah. Because, so I mean, when I, was, when I was touring, it was like, oh, leave everything because yeah. they yeah. make stuff. <laughs> and that was easy because you just went, well, they make the best stuff. I'll get some tubus racks. I'll get some Ortley bags. And I'm good. Yeah. And then, yeah, you start bikepacking. It's like, okay. <laughs> yeah. What are your plans this summer? What are you doing? Or sorry, uh, winter, well, I guess. <laughs> yeah, we're going into winter. So in um, a month's time, there is a race here called the Cloud Ride 1000, which is notoriously difficult. Um, almost everyone I've spoken to who's done it just basically says, don't do it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So I'm in. Sign me up. <laughs> it starts. So this beer that I'm drinking at the moment, it starts at the brewery and oh, finishes nice. at the brewery. And it's a thousand kilometer loop through the mountains. Um, and if there's an easy way to get around a hill, you'll go over the hill instead. So it's that kind of race. Like a gravel so race? Like, like gravel or bikepacking? It's or? a bike. bike. Yeah, bikepacking. Yeah. So, um, and that'll oh, be in about a month. Yeah, a month's time. And then um, the Super Road Mountain Race is coming up in August. But uh, we'll see what happens with coronavirus. So if mm. that kicks off, Kyrgyzstan's probably not a great place to go. Um, uh just whether or not the organizers decide to do something about it or whether or not you know it's just not a good idea to go there uh that'll d dictate whether i go and do that and if i don't do that then i'll go and do the um race to the rock again so mm. the, from it's from adelaide to airs rock again uh, earlier again so i'll go and do that probably um and then over winter we'll just try to get up into the snow as much as possible um yeah so nothing I won't say nothing big. No, nothing too bad. <laughs> yeah, we've got a year left in Australia before we decide to pick up stumps again. So um, we will make the most of the city we live in, which we love. It's really outdoors, so we'll just be doing you know weekend stuff everywhere. We're really lucky where we live, so we'll yeah. do that. And then at Christmas time, we'll uh, pack the house up and start our slow migration to Canada, however long it takes. Yeah, that's that's so exciting to be able to change. Culturally, it's the same, right? It is, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I've, I, I, I yeah. used to live in Whistler, and yeah. everyone who knows about Whistler knows it's just full of Aussies, right? So crazy. Yeah, it's just, uh, yeah. um, yeah, it's it's uh, it's awesome. Canada's awesome. You're gonna love it. Yeah, I'd like to do a yeah. switch. Actually, my my wife's <laughs> um, stepbrother and his wife they moved uh, oh, probably a couple of years now, but same situation. Yeah. Like they were in Fernie yeah. and. Canadian boy met the Aussie girl and now they're going out to give it a try. Yeah. What a great yeah. opportunity. And you know what I realized now? I've been saying Uluru wrong the whole time, my whole life. Because I would say Uluru, not Uluru. Oh, <laughs> I don't think anyone cares. As long as you don't I call care. it Ezra, which is not really what we call it anymore. So No. Um, 
that that must be an awesome race. That must be fantastic. Like the the terrain you're going through must be just crazy. Well, I I have said it a few times, and I think if you came, there's a race here called the Hunt One Thousand, which goes from Canberra where I live to Melbourne, yeah. and it goes through the Alpine area of Australia. Yeah. If you did that race or that ride, it's sort of a it's not really a race; it's an event, um, a bikepacking event. If you did that and then you did the Race to the Rock, which does a trail called the Mawson Trail, which goes for about a 1,000 kilometres up through the uh, mountains and sort of the desert mountains called Flinders Ranges uh, in South Australia. If you did both of those routes, you would have seen a lot more of Australia than most Australians, as in oh, yeah. variety of terrain. And so Race to the Rock, that's specific, that specific version that goes from Adelaide to Uluru is amazing and then um, the area I live in which is uh, yeah sort of the Alpine area heading straight down to Melbourne if you did those two routes you would see uh, two or three amazing Australian cities and see some just amazing terrain so um, yeah we're pretty lucky we've got a few events around here that cover some really good areas so what do you do when you're setting up your sleep kit in the desert and there's poisonous shit everywhere. Uh, you just is that a reasonable thing to ask? Because it just seems like uh, you know so, bears are one thing, but like bedding down and then sleeping beside a bush that's full of like tarantulas or something is kind of that's the problem. Yeah. So I mean, even I've got a tarp now, and I Chelsea and I always sleep in a tent, but then I've got a tarp, and then I went up into the mountains a few months back. Uh, for an overnighter and I was talking to someone and they said, oh, yeah, you have to watch out for funnel-web spiders up here because they're quite poisonous. And then they started telling a story about when a scout group went up there oh, and, no. set up, and a migrating mass of funnel-web spiders moved across the campsite at night and they woke up covered in funnel-web spiders just migrating across the campsite. That's horrifying. And I thought, yeah, thought no, nah, that's just a story that people tell. But I've, I've met three people now who've woken up to migrations of funnel web spiders. And then you think, well, at least if you're in a tent, you can do the fly up. Um, and then, of course, you've got the, the snakes, which like warm places, which is inside your sleeping bag or inside your shoes and all these things. But it's like what we were talking about earlier on. It, it's what you're used to. You sort of... Go with gut instinct. And How big are these funnel web, web spiders? They're not big. They're just dangerous. Yeah, they're called funnel web because they create a spider web that's like a funnel into like uh, foliage, and that's where they trap things. But they're not big. I mean, a, a lot of like I cleaned out our, our patio, our backyard the other day, and I found like twelve <laughs> spiders, and they're tiny, but they're quite dangerous. Like. And the big spiders we get inside the house are called huntsmen, and they're big and furry. I love them. <laughs> How big like are just they? Pick them up, How big are they? A redback is tiny and black and dangerous. So. How big are the big fuzzy ones you're talking about? They can get to about hand size. Oh my god! But they're, not, they're not like a they're not like a tarantula, like in South America and in no, but it's a Mexico. fucking big spider tie. <laughs> yeah, but they're like they're cute. They're cute. <laughs> We don't get spiders yeah. like that in BC. <clears throat> we get some pretty big ass spiders, but god damn it, <laughs> that's big. Yeah. Nah, I think it'll be interesting moving to uh, Canada know. and just not 
sex much anymore, but uh, do you get midges and stuff? You do, don't you? Like sand flies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Mosquitoes, yeah. black flies, horse flies. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. horse flies are pretty gnarly because they're but the size yeah, of the tip get, of your finger and they'll just like take a chunk of meat out of you. Really hurt. Yeah. We get them here quite bad as well. So I did um, a canoe trip. Oh, this was like, this is a long time ago in another life. And we went up to um, Quenelle. In, yeah. in British Columbia, and there's yeah. a there's a, a a loop of lakes up there called the Bowron Lakes, and yeah, right. so I think it was I think it took us like five days to canoe that. Yeah, but uh, you know we had uh, f- four boys, so we actually had like a ten pound yeah it was a ten pounder propane tank and like a Coleman barbecue yeah. like we we could lift it also, and we had carts and stuff yeah. for the portages. But um, at night you would lay in your tent and you could hear the mosquitoes. Oh, wow. Like you just yeah. hear the humming coming from the woods. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, and you know, you try to sleep in places that were like drier and not so, yeah. So mosquito infested, but, um, it's a jungle out there, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Did you guys pick a destination? What do you mean? Uh, when you moved to Canada, have you pulled the trigger on a uh, destination? No, so if Chelsea gets a job with her old company, it might ah. be Victoria or um, Calgary. You said Victoria? Uh, yeah. Oh, I'd choose Victoria. Sorry? I'd choose Victoria. That'd be friggin' beautiful, uh, man. Oh, It would be, but you get trapped on islands, and it's a beautiful place, True. but then you end up not going anywhere else True for that. a period. Which is fine if you're there for a year or two, but... You know, it's just that barrier. It's expensive. Little... Yeah, and it's very expensive. It, well, not only that, it's expensive to get off the island. Like when, that's right. When, like when we go yeah. to the island as a family with our, you know, with our with our rooftop yeah. box and stuff, it's like yeah. I think it's like eighty or ninety bucks for us to get. It's crazy, right? Yeah. So it's a beautiful, beautiful place, and we had a bowl there, and you know, we'd love to live off it. I mean, even in Comox or something. Yeah, it would be great because you're closer to the mountains and the skiing, and then you can get across the island to go surfing. But, yeah. um. Yeah, there's those, and then ideally we would love to live somewhere like Fernie or mm. um, any of these small towns, but the jobs are the problem. So, what do you do again? Sorry, I forgot. I'm a, I'm in logistics in the army, so the I've army. got a past logistics experience, and I've got a master's in project management and all these different things. I can walk into a sort of a job anywhere, but and then you look at it at the same time. We don't have kids, um, so we don't need a big steady income right so if we take a hit on lifestyle for lifestyle then that's workable but there's all these things everything yeah yeah project project manager job you could probably pick up one in a city i think you'd probably find yeah you know work for for mining or any industry i don't want to work for those but worst comes to worst i could work in you know forestry mining I've got a pile of outdoor experience, obviously, from being in the army and from life in general. So, and then management experience things. I could do all these things, but right, who knows? Yeah, the world's your oyster, man. You can do whatever you want. Well, that's, that's the thing. I, I, I don't want to uh, decide on a job either. I want to like get there and figure out what might be good at the time. So, I think the thing that's nice about the island is what you said. It's like yeah. you know, you can you can find. Yeah. You know, the winters are super short, but you can go yeah. you can go like mid island and, and get some yeah. awesome skiing and snowboarding. Yeah. And then you can go to Tofino. We go to Tofino every summer as a family and yeah. hang out yeah. there and, and I, I I don't surf, but the water's freaking cold, man. But oh, um, yeah. 
um, I'd, I'd love to surf. I wish I grew up because I was a skateboarder yeah. too. I, yeah, I tried yeah, surfing. Yeah. I got slammed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. but, um, but the, you have that but, variety and the island's big, man. Like there's a great bike packing you know, route that goes right up the middle of it, right up to, uh, you know what I, um, what I don't like about the island, it's not... it doesn't feel like Canada. It feels like ah. something complete of itself, which there's nothing wrong with that. No. But if we move to Canada, this sounds stupid. We want that season and that we want the cold. Ah, I understand what you're for saying. half a year, and not necessarily, but you know, we want to feel like we're in Canada. So, in and terms, it doesn't feel like Canada in terms of the seasonality of the islands. It just didn't feel like Canada. Oh, it felt like another country for sure. Because <laughs> it kind of but, is a little bit, actually. I know. People yeah, that go to the but, island stay on the island. Time. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Like you never go off the island. So we, we <laughs> love it. Yeah, it's but awesome. it did not feel like we were in Canada. So if we moved there, it would be like we'd moved to a third country. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Nothing wrong with that. No, no, yeah, no. Yeah, you don't have to. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. It it is different. Yeah. People, it, yeah. it's probably the same. Like, well, if you go to any island culture, yeah, it, you know, absolutely. there it has. Yeah. There's a bit of a culture. There's a bit of a vibe to the island. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. We spend a lot of time in Duncan. Um, yeah, Maple Bay is kind of where my yeah. wife's family's from, and it's beautiful, yeah, right. man. It's so nice yeah, down yeah. there. And then you've yeah. got um, Maple Mountain. Uh, yeah. Shout out to Maple Mountain. It's amazing riding on there. Maple syrup. There's a couple different yeah, routes. Yeah, this yeah. wicked up track. And then Mount wow. Zahalem. And then, um, yeah. you know, uh, Cumberland is a huge mountain bike spot. Yeah. <clears throat> right. And then. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's good beer. And yeah, it's a bit expensive. <laughs> and, you know. Cumberland would be awesome. Yeah. I could live there. Yeah. The island's yeah. a great spot. Well, it'd be cool. When you come out here, we'll have to try to connect. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Especially if you're oh, on the right. island. Bike. Like what's that? Yeah. Yeah. It's a small world with bikepacking as well. Like you just the community's uh really tight. Yes. I, I find it surprising when I don't know someone in Australia through the community who's done a bit of bikepacking, you know. Not just racing. I mean I'm talking about general route finding and just getting out and stuff. So it's a good community. Mountain biking's yeah. been a huge staple, like <clears throat> BC is yeah. just known for for mountain biking. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. that the cycling culture is in, on the island is definitely strong. Yeah, yeah, yeah man, yeah. it'd be a good place to go. I mean, no offense yeah. to Edmonton, but I would pick the island yeah. over Edmonton. But then again, oh no, know, we wouldn't move to Edmonton. We like Edmonton as a city, but it's too far from the mountains. Right. So that would be Calgary. Did I say Edmonton or Calgary? Oh no, you you did say Calgary. Calgary. Sorry, your wife's yeah, sorry, no. your partner's from Edmonton, right? Yes, originally, and then she lived in Calgary. So it would be Calgary because that's close to the mountains if we had to live in a city or yeah. Victoria, obviously. But Edmonton's, we like Edmonton as a city, but it's too far from the mountains, like way too far. So yeah. it's not the kind of thing you weekend because you have to go overnight, basically. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Being in the mountains is pretty awesome, actually. Yeah, yeah. I know yeah. there's no work here, but Invermere is pretty awesome too. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know, like, <clears throat> you know, we're only a couple hours from Fernie and then you know, there's Cranbrook, yeah. which is, yeah, you yeah. know, it's got some, some industry there. And then yeah. Golden, Revelstoke, like that, that yeah. strip. Have you, did you guys go to Revy? Uh, no. Oh, yeah. you have to check Revelstoke out. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You, you don't have, uh, do you have any like mechanical skills? No. No. no, I was gonna say you could work at the resort, like fix lifts and stuff. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, all right. I am going to have to run away soon. If that's right. Yeah, absolutely. I was just going to call it. That was a great, that's like two hours sure. and 17 minutes, my friend. <laughs> if you, what do you do? You chop it down, find out, find the bits that are good and bad. Or kidding me, man? I'm going to put it all in there. Are you kidding? Sure, yeah. yeah, man. No, I just, uh, this is one of the longest ones I've had for a while, but I think it, yeah. it, it didn't feel like a long conversation. It just, the time flew by because nah. it was so much fun talking yeah. to you. Yeah, cool. Yeah, right on. Um, yeah, I mean, if you want to do one ever, if you need uh, subject matter for your bikepacking Canada, I could do one that's just talks about all the Australian bikepacking routes. Yeah, well, we can do that for if sure. Wanted, if you wanted to do that one day, if you're at a loose end. So. Yeah, well, I want to, you know, full disclosure that this I'm doing this podcast for my back 40. Um, absolutely yeah so um yeah. i'd I'd love to do a more more podcast for bike pack canada and yeah. that would probably be a good one depending on what direction they're going in and yeah, yeah. it'd be awesome to talk to you again i'm, I'm open to it anytime yeah. oh uh, just spill your beer <laughs> no just uh <laughs> all right ty it was awesome to talk to you i had a really good time yeah cool yeah and I'll, I'll let you know when it airs and you can listen to it again if you like listening to your own <laughs> voice talk I know I, I don't. Thought, <laughs> I feel like I already know you because I've listened to you, but you oh, probably okay. never listened to me. So there you go. That's awesome. Well, thanks for thanks for listening, and uh, yeah, no, thanks for thanks, the man. thanks for the feedback. I'm glad you're enjoying everything. It's awesome. Absolutely. Right on. We'll chat soon. Catch you, mate. Bye. Okay, take it easy. I want to thank Ty again for his time and thank all of you for tuning in. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. If you want to support me, you can head on over to whatever platform you're listening to the My Back 40 podcast on and give it a five-star rating. And a review would be awesome as well. Um, when you do that, you expose the My Back 40 podcast to more people, allowing me to grow my new platform, which I'm, I'm super excited about. If you want to reach out to me, you can do so at myback40podcast at gmail.com. You can send me feedback, guest suggestions, and voice memos no one sent me a voice memo yet so come on send me a voice memo i'll get it at the beginning of the show um just reach out send me something tell me how you're doing tell me how you and your family are coping through these crazy crazy times of covid19 i want to thank rebound cycle and cycling 101 for their support by supporting me you're supporting the my back 40 podcast and uh i appreciate it i love you guys so I think that's all I have for you this week. Um, I'll catch you next week with another awesome podcast. I'm super excited about this one. It's going to be one of those ones that kind of branch out from uh, the usual subject matter on this platform. And uh, I hope you enjoy it. And until next time, get out there, guys. Get some exercise, forest bathe, get grounded, eat well, stay healthy, and keep the rubber side down. Mm-hmm.